Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Atwood Unleashed 82. We've got a shortened version tonight because our co-host couldn't make it. So we are going to start out with Chris Hansen at six. And then we're going over to Colonel Kurtz. Then we're going over to Wilfred Riley. Then we're going over to Micah Hanks. So the two-hour YouTube section is continuing. If you are on Patreon, we are uploading the Robbie Williams interview right now. It's going out on Monday on YouTube at 6 p.m. But if you're a Patreon, we're uploading it tonight so the Patreons can get to see that. Either today or tomorrow, depends how long it takes to upload. Huge thank you to everyone giving me shout-outs in the live stream and well wishes. All right, so Chris Hansen, like I said, he's the first guest. He's had billions of views on YouTube. And you must have seen his show, To Catch a Predator. Let me do a little census in the chat. If you've watched Chris Hansen's To Catch a Predator, put a one in the chat. If you've never seen it, put a two. But it's mesmerizing because they use a female decoy. She pretends to be a minor, and these predators contact her online. She sets them up in a house that's got like a SWAT team. The police are all there. Let's see. So we've got a few ones, a few twos. Ooh, okay, a few twos, another one. So the decoy sets them up to come to this house. And when the predator comes to the house, the decoy actually looks quite young she's i think she's around 20 or something but she does actually look like a minor so the predator comes in the house and starts to say like you know greetings and what he wants and what they're going to get up to and when it gets a little bit too dangerous for the decoy she must give some signal or something and then chris hansen walks in the room and he walks in the room and just goes up to the guy and he's like hey sit down, you know, I want a word of you kind of thing. What are you doing here? And then the guy, they nearly always deny that they've come to have some kind of, got to be careful with my language, relations, let's say, physical relations with the minor. And he gets it out of them because he, he shows them the online correspondence. And then when they're confronted with the online correspondence, the reaction from some of them because they're on the spot. It's really fascinating. Like I said, he's got billions of views on these videos on YouTube. Well worth a watch. Chris Hansen to catch a predator. Now, one of the predators came with a kill kit in the back of his car. I think he had like handcuffs, duct tape, a gun. And you can imagine, you know, what he was going to proceed and try and do with that. Some of the other things are these people who show up in the house, they're often cops, prison guards, people with responsible jobs, school teachers, and the excuses they come with on camera as to why they're there, it's, it's, uh, it's mind-blowing just to watch them squirm and see them come up with these excuses for these heinous ideas they're trying to put in motion. 
But the sad thing, as usual, like you guys know, we're campaigning on this channel to end the war on drugs, end mass incarceration, take all that money, lock up the predators. But quite often, these predators, they just get slaps on the wrist. I think one of them on Chris Hansen's show got out and ended up doing something like that again. Yeah, so Chris will be coming on at six. He is an American TV journalist and YouTube personality. Known for his work on Dateline, NBC. In particular, the hit show To Catch a Predator. And tonight, he's going to be giving us updates on that and talking about his streaming network, True Blue, and what content he's got coming out for fans in 2023. All right, so... Looks like it was quite even in the chat, ones and twos, for people who are familiar with Chris and the people who are not familiar with Chris. Second YouTuber coming up is at 6.30 to 7. She goes by Colonel Kurtz. And she's going to be talking about the Marilyn Manson versus Evan Rachel Wood case. She's done an analysis of this on her YouTube channel. In her words, quote, if you thought the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial was fascinating, the Me Too hoax against Marilyn Manson by Evan Rachel Wood will blow your mind. And I remember when we had Corey Feldman on the channel, it was part of the content that YouTube made us take down. He gave us his thoughts on Marilyn Manson. All right, so from 7 to 7.30, we've got, actually, you know, the Marilyn Manson allegations were quite interesting. Let me just see. I'm just going to look in Google real quick. I, I'm curious as to what happened there, whether he was convicted or anything. Accusations. Let's have a quick look. Or if it was all dropped against him. Sexual abuse. All right. In November 2021, the department executed a search warrant on his address. There's the timeline. This is from Pitchcom. So LA County District Attorney's Office reviewed the 19-month investigation. Considering whether to file criminal charges against Marilyn Manson, this was from September 22. They were investigating sexual assault allegations. Detectives of the Bureau have now officially submitted the case to the LA County District Attorney's Office for Review and Complaint Filing Consideration. A representative for Marilyn Manson declined to comment on the development when reached by Pitchfork. The district attorney's office said LA County Sheriff's Department provided partial case material to LADA pertaining to the assault allegations against Brian Warner. That's his real name. There is more material that is still outstanding. However, we do not have a timeline for the additional submission from the LASD. Once we receive everything, experienced prosecutors will carefully and deliberately review everything that's been submitted prior to making a filing decision. LADA is dedicated to providing current assistance to all victims of abuse, assault, and intimate partner violence. Well, so it doesn't look like anything has come from these allegations so far. 
So let's do a quick survey in the chat. Put a one. If you think the allegations against Marilyn Manson are unfounded, put a two in the chat, please. If you think the allegations against Marilyn Manson have some merit. Right, 7 to 7.30. Yes, I am on Rumble. That was just a quick question. I think I've got about almost 30,000 followers now on Rumble. And the views, the videos are starting to get some traction. On Rumble, we put some of our content that we can't put on YouTube. And we have a backlog of content that got kicked off YouTube that we're slowly uploading. So it looks like twos then on the Marilyn Manson vote. All twos so far. All right. Where was I? Oh, yeah. All right, so 7 to 7.30, Wilfred Riley. Wilfred is an assistant professor of political science at Kentucky State University. He holds a PhD in political science from Southern Illinois Uni and a JD degree from the University of Illinois College of Law and is the author of Taboo, 10 Facts You Cannot Talk About. Tonight, he's going to be dissecting Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter and what it means for free speech. So you've got a solid two hours of me on YouTube tonight. 7.30 to 8. Writer, podcaster and researcher Micah Hanks is the founder of The Debrief, covering history, science, current events, cultural studies, technology, business, philosophy, unexplained phenomenon. The ways the future of humankind may be influenced by science and innovation in the coming decades. And the main focus of tonight is going to be UFOs. Oh, we love a bit of UFO content, don't we? So we got 200 plus in the chat right now on the live on YouTube. If you're new to Atwood Unleashed, it is a show that is not the usual true crime, prison stories, hard-hitting crime stories. It is an eclectic range of stuff covering UFOs, Bigfoot, conspiracies, some politics some current events and we've got some heavy hitting guests who are experts in various subjects. So let me do another poll then. There's Elon Musk. We did a poll that about Trump going back on Twitter. 85% of viewers were happy that Trump was back on Twitter. So let's just see what you guys say in the live stream. Put a one in the chat if you are happy. Trump is back on Twitter. I don't think he's tweeted yet. I was looking at his account. What's he got, like 70, 80 million followers? Put a two in the chat if you are unhappy that Trump is back on Twitter. Yeah, I thought so. It's going to be nearly all ones. And I saw that, yep, loads of ones there. Daniel, Bella, Andy, Matthew, John, Felicia, Miami. Appreciate the input. Angel, Jan, DK Carper, Daniel. Even Matthew Steeples. But he doesn't plan to tweet again currently. According to Blue Bomb. 
He won't go back to Twitter. He owns half of Truth Social. So he doesn't want to endorse a competitor platform. Right, so the first guest is going to come in soon. But I just want to talk about the coming week. We've got some huge podcasts coming up in the coming week. So tomorrow we've got Kira, part two, Schoolgirl versus Predators at 6 p.m. UK. Kira out of Manchester. She was groomed by a predator, got away from him thanks to Lee Marvin Hitchman. But Lee Marvin went to prison and she fell victim to the textbook rapist, which she did manage to bravely defend herself against him too. Then we've got the big trio, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. Sunday night, we've got Michael Thompson, part five. It's going to be a live Q&A, eight o'clock onwards, eight o'clock UK onwards. And then Monday night is the Robbie Williams interview. The pop icon, he was an absolute blast. He is bloody hilarious. So that's going out at six on Monday night. Tuesday night, we've got Gerard Faure who was stopped by the French intelligence services on the way to film his podcast with me. He was stopped at the border and he ended up six hours late. They also stopped him on the border going back. Gerard Faure was France's biggest coke dealer and he's one of the biggest pedo hunters. And one of the stories involved him staying at a mansion in the UK with a witch. And he hears these screams in the night and he waits for the witch to fall asleep and he goes downstairs and she's got Mongolian kids in cells in his basement, in her basement. He got the hell out of there, of course. These kids were being transported and he exposes that stuff now. But it's an amazing story. His dad was the doctor for, I think it was the King of Morocco. And he had a big insight into the elites from an early age. The president of France changed the laws in France to sentence this guy to put him away longer after he'd been the, the president of France's dealer. <laughs> it's, it's totally mental. No sound. Oh, if I pull this out, what's happened? Is my sound? Can you hear me? Let me know if you can hear me. Okay. Let's get Dash in here. Sound is fine. All right. All right. So we've got one minute to go till the first guest comes in. Put a one in the chat if you're going to watch our Robbie Williams interview on Monday. If you've seen the trailer, put a two in the chat if Robbie Williams is not your cup of tea. Just want to see how much interest people have got in that. And my favorite Robbie Williams song is not Angels. It is um, The Flood. <laughs> Take that, The Flood. Oh, we've got loads of people in the chat are going to tune in on Monday for Robbie Williams. Appreciate that, guys. I salute you, Ray J. Thank you. All right. Without any further ado, we're going to be bringing in Chris Hansom. And from the survey earlier half of you know who he is so we're going to get him to tell you more about what he does and here he comes 
Hey, Chris, how's it going? Sean, how are you, sir? Yeah, it's always a great pleasure to see you, my friend. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I hope trust you're well. I am well, thank you. We did a little survey earlier. There are some people out there who are not familiar with your work yet, Chris, unfortunately, and I was recommending it to the high heavens to them. Can you just tell those people a little bit about what you do? Well, I'm a television reporter, presenter. Uh, I do a lot of crime stories, investigative work, and, and probably the best known franchise is the To Catch a Predator, Hanson versus Predator, Takedown Predator series. And that's a series where men who are trying to meet children for um, predatory sexual purposes are caught in a sting operation and confronted by me, then arrested by law enforcement. And we do a lot of different crime documentaries too. And so I've been doing that for about 40 years. And uh, tomorrow <clears throat> we're introducing our new streaming crime network called True Blue, T-R-U-B-L-U. And in, in that we'll have a new news magazine called True Crime Nation, where we'll do not just the predator investigations, but you know, breaking crime news like the shooting at the Club Q and the Walmart <clears throat> and taking people in depth and behind the scenes. You know, Sean, you and I have discussed this before. My goal is to take people inside the commission of a crime and to see things they wouldn't normally see and hear things they wouldn't normally hear. And, and we use, as best as we can, enterprising techniques to get inside the crime and get inside the predator, whether financial or sexual or any other type of predator. And we take people along on this journey of discovery. And, and I, I think people appreciate it. They appreciate all the hard work and um, the digging we do. And, and this new crime streaming network is just the next generation of that sort of enterprise, applying what we do in terms of the reporting to the distribution of the content to the people who want it. So I'm very excited about it. And, you know, we've been on this show before talking about some of the documentaries I've done for Discovery Plus and other places. And there's a certain bureaucratic uh, layered system to some of the larger networks. And it takes 12 months or 18 months or 24 months sometimes to get these shows on the air. Whereas with True Blue, you know, I call Sean Reck, who's, you know, at Transition Studios, my partner in True Blue, and I tell him I need a crew on uh, Tuesday and I have a crew on Tuesday. So we react to these and we're more proactive as well when it comes to these stories. For instance, we have one, you've heard of the, the Twitter swindler. We have a uh, uh, investigative piece called the Facebook Fiend, where a number of young women who were victimized by a guy sexually, physically, financially reached out to me on social media. I was able to verify some of these facts of the case, interview some of the women, the survivors who came forward. And as we sit here today, there's a warrant for this man's arrest. Now, police did their due diligence. It's not just because I did this story on it or I'm about to do a story on it, but it wasn't unhelpful to create a sense of awareness and, and attention to this very important topic. And so that will be, you know, among the first round of documentaries on, on True Blue and True Crime Nation. So we're able to react very quickly. And so I'm excited, you know, for, for a fellow who's at my stage of uh, the game to be involved in streaming and to have control of the content and ownership of the content and, and distribution of the content. It's a very exciting uh, proposition for me. Well, we salute you. You've got billions of views on YouTube. And more importantly, you know, you're holding these predators to account. 
it seems to be that the government doesn't really prioritize this sometimes, which is something we're campaigning for on this channel. And we've only got Chris for about another 25 minutes. So for the viewers, if you've got any questions, please put them in the chat and we'll put them to him. But you mentioned the Facebook fiends. So let's start out with that then. What sure. was the Facebook fiends method of operation? He would go on various social media platforms and he would approach women who he found vulnerable um, and, and would romance them. And he portrayed himself as a new agey type of musician, guitar player. He would claim that <clears throat> he was affiliated with a certain band uh, that was popular in this, uh, in this group of young women. And he would set the pick, um, want to come visit. There would always be some issue at the last minute about financing. So he would have the young woman pay for trips. All these women had jobs. They had money. <clears throat> they were responsible people. Some had children even, were single moms. And the big date would come after three months of chatting online. And he would start drinking and flip this switch and become very violent and sexually aggressive. And in fact, <clears throat> in the criminal complaint um, that's been filed, and I'm, I'm not getting into too many details because he's not been arrested yet, but um, he's charged with sexual assault and breaking and entering and a number of very serious felonies. But again, once they make an arrest in this case, which they will, it's just a matter of time, we will roll out the entire, the entire documentary, uh, which I think people are going to find very compelling. And I think we'll get a lot more people come forward who've been victimized, maybe not by the same guy, perhaps, although I think we'll see that, but also by other people who are out there exploiting various social media platforms, just like predators exploit them with children. So you said the Facebook fiend hasn't been held to account yet. What was his last sighting? <clears throat> I've got multiple sightings. Um, and I'm not going to divulge that at this moment because there's a very active investigation in terms of arresting him. And I don't want him to dive underground. But trust me when I tell you that, you know, there there's an aggressive search. He's not going to get away forever. If it becomes a stalemate or something like that, then we'll be pushing hard and putting his picture out there. So he won't be in the wind long, trust me. And over what, was it just over parts of America, certain states, or was it around the world that he had it's, his victims? It's, it's, it's the victims are all domestic in the United States. Um, all over though, not just one area of the country, West Coast, East Coast, in between, uh, virtually every, every part of the country. He was very active. And what kind of a sentence would you anticipate him getting? I think that he could face um at least 10 years and maybe more because as you know sean in these cases once charges are filed uh once more victims slash survivors come forward there will be other investigations and there are investigations in other parts of the country uh from this one so i anticipate that he could be looking at you know up to 20 years in prison good matthew steeples wants to know does mr hansen know of stinson hunter He's known as the pedophile hunter in this country. Is, is, his, is Chris's approach similar? And does he think this kind of approach is the best way to expose these kind of people? I'm not familiar. I've heard the name, um, but I'm not familiar with uh, uh, Hunter's work. 
Um, I do know that <clears throat> there are a number of quote unquote vigilante predator hunters in, in the US. Um, and, and before I say this, I wanna make it very clear. I think there's a very important role for citizen journalists and citizen investigators and people who have solved a lot of crimes on YouTube, on podcasts. And, and so it's important and everybody should have a voice and everybody should be involved in this sort of crowdsourcing when it comes to solving crimes. My fear sometimes in the amateur predator catching world is that some of these cases are not always prosecuted because of the methodology used. And I think there's a temptation to jump out of the bushes and attack somebody who's uh, been caught engaging this sort of behavior online. And the danger is that they're not held accountable. In the very beginning of the predator investigations that I've done, which go back now some 18 years, we did not have law enforcement in the first couple of investigations. And a lot of these guys just walked out of the sting house and, and never faced charges. As time went on, we began to collaborate uh, with law enforcement to ensure that there was a sense of social justice, criminal justice. And also from a purely selfish television production standpoint, I think it's more fulfilling to see justice served and to have a guy arrested and, and, and prosecuted successfully in these cases. So now in today's uh, investigations, um, we have adapted so that law enforcement is involved and so that justice is served. Now, depending on which jurisdiction, oftentimes the guy walks in after chatting with a decoy uh, and I get a chance to have my way with him, talk to him, confront him before he's arrested. Sometimes, depending on the volatile nature of the situation, he'll be secured and then I'll be able to ask questions. In other cases, like a recent sting we did in Florida, the arrest took place and then I interview the man after his arrest. Now, part of what people like about the Predator franchise is this collision, this, this realization on camera that the man is in trouble, that he's gonna face down Chris Hansen. But alternatively, the benefit of doing some of these stings, not all, but some of these stings where I get a chance to interview the guy afterwards, after the arrest, I really get to spend my time and get into his head in a detailed way. And we've seen this in, in the Polk County, Florida investigation that'll be coming out on True Blue very soon. It's almost like a silence of the lambs moment. The guy has to agree to talk, regardless of, of how we do it, with or without law enforcement, he can run. But in this case, these guys sort of almost universally are relinquished to the fact that I've arrived on the scene and they feel they need to talk to me. Even when they don't talk to law enforcement in some of these cases, they spill their guts to me. They now, Sean, sometimes in the chats with the decoys will say, is this a Chris Hansen thing? And the decoy will say, you know, who's that? And he'll explain, well, it's a guy who does, you know, investigations on, on predators or guys who try to meet underage kids. Yet they show up anyway. And now it's it's a situation, and we did this in, in Monroe County, Michigan recently, where the guy says, oh, oh I, I, I've seen you on podcasts like this one. I've, I've listened to your podcast, Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen, where we go over past cases. And it's shocking to me that that they will almost be struck by the celebrity of the situation and either try to explain themselves 
explain themselves out of the situation or completely confess and try to explain how they got here and, and what happened to them in their earlier life that turned them into a predator. Chris, has there ever been a situation so dark and dangerous when confronting one of these predators that you've not been able to televise it? Everything that we've, <clears throat> excuse me, Sean, everything that we've experienced in the field for the most part has been on television or on a digital platform. There's been nothing that was violent or unpredicted that, that we held back. Um, you know, for sensitivity reasons, you know, we've edited the material, uh, especially for television, we can, we can push the envelope a little bit more on streaming, which we do and, and will continue to do. So we, um, we can do that, uh, but we've never held anything back. Everything has been seen. Now we will, I mean, look, if, if we sense that this guy is going to walk into the house with five guns and we have some intelligence that he's gonna to try to shoot the place up, we will obviously want the police to arrest them before that happens. So um, that'll be the situation from there. We, we don't wanna provoke a confrontation, but, but what you see is what you get in these investigations. Out of all of the predators you confronted so far, which one would you classify as the most dangerous? I think, well, it's probably about a 10-way tie for first, Sean, but <clears throat> we had a situation years back in Flagler Beach, Florida, uh, between Jacksonville and Daytona Beach. And a guy had been online chatting with our decoys at that time from Perverted Justice, the online watchdog group for, for the better part of a week. It was a graphic chat, very graphic. Um, and he had mentioned in the chat that he had at one point been in law enforcement, but was no longer. And a lot of these guys, as you can imagine, get off on the chat, they don't show up. So this particular guy, Todd Spikes, remember his name? He shows up after we had ended our operation for the day. And we can't get everybody back in the sting house to turn it on. There's a lot that goes into it. So the police make a traffic stop in order to arrest him. And he had a loaded 38 caliber pistol in his pocket. And in his SUV, he had an assault rifle, a shotgun, another handgun, with 800 rounds of ammunition. He lived at the Florida-Alabama border and had driven five hours to get to the, the sting house in Flagler Beach. So I'm you know, confident that had he walked in with a pistol in his pocket, he would have never gotten it out. You know, We have not just the police nearby, we have personal security and security for our team. So it does, however, give me pause to wonder, you know, what was his plan? Was he just one of those guys who lived out in the, you know, the sticks and had a lot of weapons? Did he have them because he was in law enforcement? He was an active duty police officer in a small town at the border at the time. He was fired and, and ultimately prosecuted. But yeah, that gave me pause. And not only did he have, he had like chainsaws and uh, duct tape, and it was just a, a really <laughs> frightening situation looking back at it. And we've had other guys who had weapons in their car and uh, cameras and, and, you know, phones, extra phones for videotaping things or videoing things. And, and so we've seen that, you know, these guys come with a with a diabolical scheme to not just abuse a child, but to record it and distribute that that crime. 
to give the viewers the an idea of the scope of what you're achieving then what have the range of sentences been for these predators the sentences have ranged sean from probation and registration as a sex offender all the way up to 24 years i think one guy got in prison because he had been a repeat offender he had been caught once before and um so his sentence was based upon that in the early days especially in california we saw judges who would look at this as a tv reality show a sting even though there were criminal charges and even though there was a collaboration with official law enforcement there was a tendency to not take it as seriously as they should have taken it but since then laws have changed advocacy groups have grown stronger more vocal and, and so we do see in many of these cases where they're charged with you know three criminal counts where the case may not even go to trial where there's a, a plea agreement to uh, some sort of a prison sentence depending on the, the person's background history and what the parole and probation department comes back with in terms of you know is this somebody who's likely to reoffend or somebody who can be fixed and monitored and kept out of trouble in the future before the next question i'm just going to do a survey of the audience put a one in the chat if you think predators should be sentenced more harshly put a two in the chat if you think the government has got it right with the present sentencing laws so you've got a question from gene thornton chris has Chris ever had a case where it gave him nightmares and he could not sleep at night? I sleep pretty well at night, as you can imagine, after 40 years of being a crime reporter. But but yeah, there have been <clears throat> some haunting stories I've done over the years, uh, some of them um, different than the traditional predator stings. We went to Cambodia years ago and infiltrated a brothel outside of a Phnom Penh that specialized in, in exploiting underage children. And, and we posed as sex tourists and went in with hidden cameras. And we found children as young as five, six years old being sold for sex to mm. Western Europeans. And we documented this in an Emmy Award winning uh, program and, and followed up a few years later with the children who were rescued in it. And, and the, the, the vision of the video, the undercover video, where you've got this sweet, innocent child talking about um, performing a sex act for $30 or $60. And they even taught these kids um, American terms to use, like oral sex was yum yum and, and, and uh, intercourse was, um, you know, bang bang or something to that effect. Um, and it was really really disturbing and that that sticks with me till this very day and, and some of the you know some of the large scale uh criminal investigations we've done over the years and and some of the predator shoots too i mean it's interesting in the podcast because so much of this is done on the fly you know the guy walks in and i have some background on him but it, it depends on my ability to get the guy to talk and leverage what information i do have to get inside these these guys heads so with the podcast, uh, every week I take a look at a case that has already been adjudicated. And I now have the ability to go over all the transcripts, to rewatch the videos, and to literally immerse myself in the case and talk about it, and to figure out what happened to this guy since his initial arrest, since he was exposed in our sting. 
and some guys have gotten into trouble again. Some guys have gone straight. Some guys are thinking about giving me interviews and some guys have told me to go to hell. I've ruined their lives. And some have been very vocal and, and vocally violent about their feelings towards me. But look, at the end of the day, I think we've raised awareness and created a dialogue that you know didn't exist before all this. I mean, a lot of good investigative work has been done, law enforcement, ICAC, uh, around the world, Interpol, and but but we really brought it to you know the forefront of the public attention i think and that's why it endures and now you know as i said i, I never envisioned that we would continue this particular franchise for as long as we did I, I thought we'd do it three or four times it was never envisioned as a standalone franchise it was envisioned when i pitched it as a segment on dateline nbc and it for many reasons became a part of pop culture and part of the fabric of iconic crime reporting. And, and I see no reason not to continue to do it. Have any of the predators reoffended after going through your sting and facing the consequences of their actions? Next week's episode of Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen looks at a case where we had a fellow who chatted with a decoy during an investigation in Ohio didn't show up, moved to Florida, got caught in our Flagler Beach investigation, amateur boxer, very graphic chat, came over to get a young teenage girl, was you know exposed and prosecuted in that case. And while he was awaiting trial out on bond, he was caught actually having sex with a 14-year-old girl. And he went to prison for seven years and continues to this day to be on the uh, uh, sex offender registry. I mean, is, is, is there any hope that someone like that will never commit or do you just imagine that seven years sentence served, that person's incorrigible? I, it's hard to tell and I'm not a therapist, I just play one on TV, but you know, as far as I can tell, he's not reoffended. He's not been caught reoffending. He has to report to his uh, probation parole officer because of uh, being on the registration list. He has to tell the government where he lives. And you would think that that you would hear pretty quickly if he if he reoffended. So I don't think that he I have no evidence that he has. My confidence level in him not reoffending is not particularly high based upon his past. But maybe I mean, maybe he got the treatment he, he sought. But he then went on to write a series of blogs pretending to be another person talking about himself and how he'd been misinterpreted and how he wasn't the bad guy that everybody thought because of all the reporting. So you, you got to wonder, is this guy, is he, you know, in touch with reality? Has he been lucky not to get caught? I don't know. He hasn't been caught, but you know, think about that. If you were <clears throat> almost caught in a sting, and then you are caught in a sting, conceived by the same group, would you then go out and try to do this again and actually get caught having sex with a 14-year-old girl? Who does that? I mean, I'd like to talk to him. I reached out to him. He sent me a text saying, you know, I see no reason to talk to you. I wish you no harm. I have no ill will. And have a happy holiday season with you and your family. That's what he sent to me via text. 
You got a question from Brother B. Are there any female predators? There are female predators, none of whom we've ever caught in our investigations. And the experts, the therapists in this field, suggest to us that the reason for that is that when it comes to female predators, you're more likely to see the teacher-student scenario, that female predators don't like the anonymity that really gets male predators off. And so we have never seen it. It, it does exist in different forms, but it's never happened in 18 years of doing our sting operations. Local shopkeeper has asked, has Chris ever caught anyone as prestigious as a DA or anyone high in the government? I think you've had a, some cops and some prison guards. We, uh, we've had uh, an assistant district attorney. We've had a vice president of operations in one of the new stings that you'll see on True Blue um, starting, starting tomorrow. Watch TrueBlue.com. You can get the information, T-R-U-B-L-U. We had in one of the last sting operations, you'll see this on True Blue as well, uh, a police officer. And the interesting thing about him, his name is Todd Baracco, and he had not only been a police officer in a number of different areas in mid-Michigan, but he was a juvenile probation officer, and he was a school administrator. And when he walked into the sting house and he walked in to meet a teenage boy, uh, he was arrogant, he was lousy with me. And after we finished the confrontation, he had like a, you know, a tube of lube in his pocket, the whole, the whole thing. And um, I turned to the crew and I said, you mark my words. This guy's either going to be a cop or, you know, some sort of an executive or city councilman or somebody who thinks that they're above the rest of us, who thinks they're in a position of authority to be indignant about this. And sure enough, they went out and searched his car, the Genesee County Sheriff's ghost team. Uh, with whom we were embedded, embedded. and um, they found three guns, his police credentials, and um, handcuffs. And then, you know, you think about that, and you think about the access he had to kids, and we start digging into his background, and the sheriff had a whole, held a news conference uh, talking about it, and I had, you know, been there with him. And we did a piece for the YouTube channel, I was here with Chris Hansen, and, and, and suddenly people start coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, I had to fire him for this department as city supervisor for this reason. And then he stalked me, pulled me over on a bogus traffic stop and wrote me a bogus ticket. This guy is, is, is a one-man uh, criminal enterprise and just an all-around bad guy. So now he's facing criminal charges in that matter. But, but you know, as you can imagine, the law enforcement doesn't take kindly to one of their own being caught in one of these stings. And it's it's happened on, you know, we've had military guys. Uh, we've had clergymen. We had a rabbi. Uh, you know, literally people from all walks of life, teachers. We've had a couple of doctors. I mean, people who are on the cutting edge of curing cancer. It, it's, it's really stunning. And people ask, who are these guys? Well, they, they come from all walks of life. Really, the only, you know, very few of them have the word predator tattooed across their forehead. I mean, you see some rangy looking characters who you would immediately suspect of nothing good but generally speaking they don't stand out of a crowd so people who are working in jobs like that then or who have a superiority complex once you detect that do you have to change your tactics in that opening discourse you do um and i'm not pretending to be expert at it one one bit but you sort of have to 
you know, it goes back to not just jumping out of the bushes like some of the uh, amateur vigilante groups do to get that that scary, dramatic few seconds of video. You, you've got to try to engage this guy, and then it becomes a bit of a chess match. Um, some guys will stick to their story all the way through. Most, if not all, will claim it's their first time. But every once in a while, you get somebody who cracks, as we did in Florida recently, where a guy went into great detail. This is the Silence of the Lambs sort of interview I was talking about earlier. And he talks about his childhood and, and things that happened to him. And excuses doesn't, doesn't justify what he did, what he's trying to do to a 12-year-old girl that night. But in their mind, you know, they've had time to think of this excuse. This guy was in Florida from California on a business trip and decided that he was going to engage in this kind of activity and look for a 12-year-old girl. So he admitted to me that he had fantasies about this. His reasons for them were absolutely unacceptable, didn't justify a thing. But in their mind, they've thought this through just in case. What if it is the local police, the FBI, the sheriffs, or Chris Hansen? And so they, they usually have a pretty well, or at least in their own minds, a well thought out story to tell. Chris, we've run out of time. Huge thank you for being so generous with your time with us as your father parent. Thanks for letting me talk about all the new projects. They're very exciting and, and uh, have a wonderful uh, um, holiday season. And I'll see you very soon, I hope. All right. Cheers, my friend. Take Cheers, care. Sean. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Bye. 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 Wow, that was powerful. And what great work he's doing because on this channel, we're campaigning for an end to the war on drugs and mass incarceration and urging the authorities to go after those bloody predators. If they were doing that job themselves, as efficiently as the public hoped, then there would not be all of these vigilante groups out there. All right, so please support Chris. Like I said, he's got billions of views on YouTube. On uh, If you've not watched any of his sting operations, they're so compelling when he confronts these scumbags and you know they try and rationalize what they're doing or they give their excuses. It's, um, it is compelling viewing. All right, so we're going to bring Colonel... Kurtz into the live stream now and talk about Marilyn Manson. Hey, Colonel, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me on. Is everything okay with my audio? I'm actually at my mom's for Thanksgiving, so our technical setup is not very good. No, your audio is excellent. Wonderful, wonderful. So I'm, I just want to say before you get started, first of all, thanks for having me on. And secondly, I cannot believe that I followed Chris Hansen I grew up watching Chris Hansen's To Catch a Predator. <laughs> I don't know if that speaks well of me or not, but I remember there are times I would binge that show. I'd be up all night. And I'd say, I'm just going to watch one more. And then like five hours later. Just... So anyway, so it was an honor to follow up Chris Hansen. I've done the same. Once you get rolling on those episodes, you cannot stop. It is compulsive. <laughs> so, so Colonel, could you tell us, what got you into this Manson case then? What, what's your interest there and how did that come about? Well, I started a YouTube channel in early 2021 to cover the Johnny Depp Amber Heard fiasco. And so I, I'm not familiar with where you are on that case, but I'm totally team Depp. 
And so I started the YouTube channel to cover that because I felt like Amber Heard had pulled a huge hoax over on the American public and the UK courts and the media for sure. And so I started to make videos on that. And not three weeks after I started making, I started a channel and started making videos on that. Not three weeks after that is when all of the Marilyn Manson allegations broke. So I'm not sure if you remember or not, but you had not only Evan Rachel Wood, coming out on Instagram and naming him as her abuser, but also a, no a number of other women from his past, women that he had dated, you know, fairly casually or women that he had encountered and then some crackpots who never even met him actually. But anyway, and so, and so when these allegations came out, I, at that point, I'm ashamed to say, I assumed that he was guilty because the number of women who were accusing him and just his image. I was not a Marilyn Manson fan. I'm still not really a Marilyn Manson fan, actually. I'd heard about six of his songs, I think. His image was very scary. And he had, you know, he had cultivated an image of being this very edgy or even disturbed person, depending on how you look at it. And so to me, it was it was almost a it was almost a sure thing that he had done these things and that he was a you know a bad guy, an abuser. And what happened is I started to look at the more deeply at the Instagram statements that all of these that these different women had put out. And this is the that's that's the forum that they chose to air their their allegations, this Instagram post, which I guess that's where we are now, you know, in society. It's a little weird, but whatever. And I started reading their allegations and there were just a lot of red flags that started coming up for me and a lot of things that didn't make sense. I didn't I didn't find that their stories really held together. And, and so I made a video, my first video on the topic, uh, right after the allegations came out. And the title of my video was A Contrarian Opinion on the Marilyn Manson Case. And my position at that point was not that he was innocent, but that I, we should preserve the presumption of innocence in our society until we have actual evidence of wrongdoing. And unfortunately, in these he said, she said situations, or even situations where you might have multiple accusers, we just cannot take people's words at, at face value without, without corroboration, without evidence. And so my first video was very much sort of 50-50. And I was just basically saying, hey, let's, let's take a breath. Let's see what else happens. Let's see what else comes out. But then as the accusers, some of them, including Game of Thrones actress Esme Bianco, as they started doing interviews, as they started their media tours, some of them, I began to see that there were more and more problems in their statements, more and more inconsistencies, more and more things that didn't add up. And so I would say probably within a matter of weeks, I became more or less convinced that Marilyn Manson actually was innocent and was the victim, just like Johnny Depp, of a Me Too hoax. And so from that point on, I've been making videos about that. And I also make videos about other celebrity controversies and so forth. What is the present status of the allegations against Manson? So there's really two dimensions. Well, there's three dimensions to a case, a situation like this. The first is the legal dimension. Has he been investigated by the authorities? Are charges going to be, have charges been filed against him? Are charges going to be filed against him? Uh, then the other dimension is what's going on in the civil courts. He's had several women sue him 
Um, one of the lawsuits has been tossed out already. Uh, but, and then the other aspect of this is, of course, what's going on in the media, because the media is a huge aspect of this. And as we saw in the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard situation, the media tends to be on the side of the accusers in this until, until they're shown, you know, incontrovertible evidence of lies. And even then, and even then, as we saw with the Johnny Depp trial, a number of them still won't get on board with the truth. So anyway, going to, to the criminal aspect, um, Marilyn Manson has been thoroughly investigated by the LASD, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. They even took all of his electronic devices. You might have seen something in the news about his home being raided. His home was searched. They took all of his electronic devices, you know, phones, computers, hard drives, everything. And they interviewed a number of people. I've actually talked to people who were interviewed by detectives behind the scenes. And so they have conducted a thorough investigation. And just a month or so ago, the LASD um, presented their file to the Los Angeles District Attorney, their files, and there was, there was no evidence. So no charges have been filed. The Los Angeles, the Los Angeles District Attorney, who is um, very leftist and very, as we say in our country, very woke, he is refusing to come out and clear Marilyn Manson. So basically what he's doing is he's engaging in a kind of a stalling where he's saying, okay, even though the Sheriff's Department, even though the police have done this full investigation and they've turned over all this information to me and there's not evidence, we're, we're waiting, we're waiting for, for more. So I imagine what's gonna happen is that there's gonna be a kind of a, a sort of slow roll on this where the DA is reluctant to come out and say, we're not gonna file charges against this man. And so I don't know when he will be officially cleared by the government, but he has been investigated by the LASD. He's, he's probably been investigated by the FBI and, and nothing. And so I don't think that we're gonna see charges against him. Now with the civil suits, uh, there are some suits progressing against him. I don't think that they have any validity and he's fighting them. But Marilyn Manson actually has now sued or several months ago sued some of his accusers, in particular, Evan Rachel Wood, his main accuser, the Westworld actress, and also a woman that most people are not aware of, her co-conspirator in this case, and her ex-girlfriend, Evan Rachel Wood is bisexual, which is fine, but her ex-girlfriend, it's starting to seem, was really um, partly the mastermind of this whole scam, and so and her name is uh, Ashley Ilmagore. And she has a long history of hoaxes and really sketchy behavior. And she's just a generally unsavory, disreputable human being. And so what happened, I believe, is that she and Evan Rachel Wood, uh, they started dating. Evan Rachel Wood got really into this feminist activist mode. Uh, she really has undergone a complete revolution, a transformation in her public image from being this sexy Lolita type to now being this, this hardcore bisexual activist feminist who's a Me Too activist. Shades of Amber Heard, actually. And so, uh, so yeah, so she got together with this woman, Ilma Gore. They began dating, and the two of them, it seems, and there's been a lot of evidence coming out indicating this, conspired to frame Marilyn Manson to increase Evan Rachel Wood's Me Too status. And one of the things that they did, and I you know, obviously don't have time to go over the whole defamation case that Manson has against them, but one of the big things that Manson has pointed out is that Evan Rachel Wood, and there's evidence, plenty of evidence to this, Evan Rachel Wood and her co-conspirator Ilma Gore, they typed a false FBI letter, forged a, a government document, pretended that they had this document from the FBI, and they put a real FBI agent's name on it. And then they distributed this in a, a family court dispute that Evan Rachel Wood was having with the father of her child, and that's a long story there. 
Um, and also Manson alleges that this uh, letter was also used as a way to recruit other women to the cause, as if to say, look, he's a bad guy. Look, see this letter? The FBI is investigating him. So they faked an FBI letter. They forged an FBI letter. And they've done all kinds of other things as well. So he's suing them for defamation and a number of other things, not just defamation, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, you know, they hacked into his computer. It's a long story, but they hacked into his emails and stuff. And they were trying to pretend that that they were that he was sending, trying to send uh, child pornography to people. So I mean, we're talking about a really extensive hoax here. So there's that aspect of it, the civil aspect. And then as far as the media goes, you know, it's really, it's almost, I hate to say it, but it almost feels like a hopeless, a hopeless battle sometimes to get the media to be fair on something like this, because that is just not the climate we're in. I don't know about what it's like over there in where you're from, but in our country, you know, the media is still, it's still very woke and it's still extremely pro Me Too. And I have no problem with Me Too when it's taking down bad guys, but it has caught a lot of innocent men in its net, especially in these high profile media cases where you have people coming out of the woodwork like moths to a flame, if I can mix metaphors there, and, and attacking people. And so this is really, I, I know this seems incredible to people. I know people will say this is an unbelievable story, but I've been on this now since early 2021. And I just, I grow more and more confident of the fact that this man did not do these things and he's the victim of a hoax. All right, before I go to the next question, I'm just going to do a poll of the viewers. We've got over 500 in the chat now. Please let us know, put a one if you think Marilyn Manson is completely innocent of these allegations. Put a two in the chat if you think that he probably did something. I'm curious to see what you guys say. And Matthew Steeples has asked Colonel Kurtz, is Marilyn Manson controversial for the sake of being controversial and to make money? Or is he completely bonkers and dangerous? Alter alternatively, is he just a popular person for the woke to hate? I don't. Okay, so let me let me knock off the uh, the most controversial thing you said there. I don't think he's completely bonkers. No. <laughs> um, let Let me say how I would how I would answer your question. I think that I think that definitely a lot of his image and a lot of this a lot of this person that he's this this characterization that he's cultivated over the years. I think that a lot of it is commercial. I think a lot of it, you know, is, is shock value. You go back to like Alice Cooper and stuff, right? And I think Europeans actually get this better than Americans do, you know? They still have our puritanical roots and everything, you know, pretty close to the surface. So Americans get more outraged about the devil stuff than I think than other people do. But yeah, a lot of it's commercial. And a lot of it also is is for artistic and for shock value and all of that. I would say, I think that is the vast majority of it. now. Do I also think that someone who who devotes himself artistically to the promotion of a kind of a dark aesthetic or a dark perspective, do I think that that person has no inner darkness inside? No, absolutely not. And I think that those are the types of things, you know, a lot of us have things that we express a, a, a darkness in different ways. Like I love horror movies, right? Or I love staying up, you know, watching Chris Hansen, you know, with all these, these weirdos and everything, right? Like there is a fascination to that stuff. And so to the extent that I, I, I would say, to the extent that this stuff is genuine for Manson, that his image is genuine, I don't think it is for the most part, but yes, I'm sure that there is some some inner darkness or some inner conflict or whatever that he's working out in his art, just like a lot of us find outlets in life 
for working things out. But do I think that he's an abuser? No. And in fact, I have interviewed on my channel a number of women who the media is not interested in their story, but ex-girlfriends of Manson, women who've had sex with Manson, who've had flings, who've had longer term relationships. And you know what they have all told me? They've told me that not only is he not abusive, but that he's actually on a personal level and a romantic level, he's actually very sweet. And I hate to break it to people, but he's apparently pretty vanilla in bed and not into the kink. So I think that what we've got here with these allegations is we have a number of women for various complicated reasons, some of them for money, you know, one of them was suing him for like $10 million, some of them, a, a number of them because their careers have flatlined or they were non-existent to begin with. And then I think in the case of maybe Evan Rachel Wood, more complicated motives, you know, people can actually be disturbed. There are things like borderline personality disorder and so forth. We saw that with Amber Heard. But for a number of complicated reasons, these women have cho chosen to go after him and they are capitalizing on his image and they are banking on the fact that people are too stupid to see the difference between a commercial and artistic image and a man's real life. So the poll has come in with slightly more ones than twos. And earlier, it was, it, earlier, it was, earlier more people thought that he'd done it. But after listening to you, more people now think that he hasn't done it. You've swayed some people. Oh, all right. <laughs> so question from Ray J. All his accusers met and discussed what he allegedly did, all on cam for a documentary. Wouldn't that compromise the case? Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir on that. Absolutely. And let me just say, since you bring up the accusers collaborating, because you reminded me of something, Ray J. You're not really Ray J with the like the Kim Kardashian sex tape, are you? All right. <laughs> but uh, no, you remind me of something, though. These women, by the way, the fact that there are multiple accusers, this, they did not come together organically. This was basically a collaborated, um, it, it was a coordinated hit job on this guy. What happened was when Evan Rachel Wood and her hoaxer shady girlfriend got together and started planning this thing they decided that they would start recruiting women start contacting women that manson had had everything from relationships to flings with and would start recruiting them try to recruit them to go after him and how did they get the contact information for all of these women that manson has been with well it turns out that manson had a disgruntled former employee a an ex-personal assistant named ashley walters who also by the way is suing him for a bunch of money um, I believe hers was the one that got thrown out. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on some of the lawsuit stuff right now. But uh, anyway, but she, but Ashley Walters, uh, ex-assistant, he fired her once because she was such a shitty assistant and not very good person. And he had pity on her, took her back after firing her. And then guess what she did? She got drunk and she stole his Jaguar. This is all stuff that, I mean, this is just verified. You can find this out there easily. She got, and, and she admits this also, this is admitted in one of the lawsuits against Manson as well, that she got drunk. She stole his Jaguar with one of the other accusers who's suing Manson, they, they, who, who had just gotten dumped by Manson. They went for a joy ride, wrecked his car. This girl ended up getting a DUI over this thing. Well, fast forward years later, Evan Rachel Wood and Ilma Gore contact this disgruntled ex-assistant who they're, they're still in contact with. And they said, hey, you still have access to, you know, Marilyn Manson's passwords and his contacts and texts and all that, because she had all of that stuff. And Manson, Manson's a little sloppy with stuff. He's a little sloppy with the people in his life. I guess he hadn't changed that stuff. So she gives all that information. And then she had, you know, like numbers and emails of, of ex-lovers and everything, right? 
the disgruntled ex-assistant gives all of that information to Evan Rachel Wood and Ilma Gore, and they start going through the list, and they contact everyone on the list and inquire if they would like to hear more about this particular situation. And we know that they were recruiting people because one of the women that they tried to recruit, an ex-lover of Marilyn Manson, her name is Greta Aurora. She has a YouTube channel as well. One of the women they tried to recruit actually saved the emails that she'd gotten. So she literally, this woman, this ex-lover of Marilyn Manson, literally got emails from Ilma Gore saying, you know, basically presenting, wait, you know, would, would you like to get in touch? You know, would you like to, would you like to join in and all of that, right? Contacted her twice. So we know that this was a coordinated hit job against this guy. And I just want people to understand, whether, whatever you think of the Marilyn Manson case or not, you have to understand that we are in a new media age now and the old rules, whatever they were, don't apply anymore. And when a man or when someone gets caught up in this kind of stuff, it's like an avalanche and there's this crazy pile on that occurs and the real facts, the real truth, they often get lost in, in, in the, me the melee, right? And so people need to understand that this is not like if a friend of yours down the street or if a guy down the street from you got accused by say, you know, eight, nine women of something, then you might say, well, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. That might, might be true in a normal situation, might, but in these media cases, that is not true. And you just have to think about it. If someone, God forbid, if someone were this crazy person were to come out and accuse you of something, there would be probably, and you were really, really famous or whatever, there would be all of these people who would come out of the woodwork and say, well, I heard him say this once, or he told this dirty joke, or, oh, he did, this was inappropriate or whatever. And people just making up stuff for their 15 minutes of fame or money or whatever. And another thing, one more thing, sorry, that, um, that people need to understand too, is that not all of these allegations against Marilyn Manson are equal. Yes, some of the allegations are serious that involve, you know, assault and things like that. But a number of the allegations are literally women complaining about dirty jokes. I kid you not. Things that are obviously just ridiculously like normal beyond the pale of, of this. So again, you have to, I, I hate to say this because it's difficult for people. And I know none of us have time to actually research things, but you have to, in cases like this, you have to actually dig in and you have to look at each allegation and you have to like get into it. You have to marinate in it to really see the truth. And I hate that. I wish it were easier but it's not. And it took a trial for people to see the truth about Johnny Depp. And I'm hoping that's what's going to happen with Manson. Yeah. I mean, there was campaigns launched against me a couple of years ago when I was reporting really? on a case I can't talk about on this channel. App um, and GMAX, let's use abbreviations for those two predators. And um, when I was reporting on these predators, we started to get a lot of coverage, 60 million views on the channel on that case. And then these campaigns just arose against me. And all my past girlfriends in America were contacted. I started to get all these messages. These people contacted me, asking me this, asking me that. I'm on, I'm on good terms with all my ex-girlfriends. But I, I, I understand how that, that's a strategy now. People employ, they, they go to all of your ex-girlfriends and try and try and find any any dirt at all on you. It's, it's uh, yeah. It is. And a couple of things. First of all, you know, uh, and I hate that happened to you. Imagine if if you had been the status uh, of the media, had the media status of Marilyn Manson. I mean, no mm. offense, like your show is great and everything. But imagine if you were like this huge rock star. Imagine how much worse that would be and probably how they could in those situations. They could probably dangle some money in front of some of these women or the prospect of some money. Or we've got this documentary on HBO that you'll get to star in and you they could probably get some people to do it. And and so I think that's really important you know, to keep in mind. And the other thing that you said is 
you said, and luckily I was on good terms with my exes. With these <laughs> I do have to say, if if Marilyn Manson, if there's any sort of karma or whatever or blame for him in this, I will concede he has not been nice to all the women in his life. <laughs> Good boyfriend or or you know i mean it's the rock star thing and i'm not letting him off the hook for that but i'm saying certainly there are disgruntled women out there who don't have good feelings about him but what i am saying i am saying is that he's not this abuser from what i have been told and all my research he's a gentle guy he may he may have problems he may have had problems in the past with infidelity or alcohol or you know just being a rocks a narcissistic rock star in some ways but he's not an abuser and there just have not been any facts presented. And in fact, there have been a bunch of lies that have been exposed. Evan Rachel Wood claims that she was actually raped on the set of Heart-Shaped Glasses. My view, your viewers right now, you know, or, or after this, they can, after this program's over, they can look up Heart-Shaped Glasses. It's a, it's a big Marilyn Manson music video, an official music video. And Evan Rachel Wood has, is coming up with a story now that he literally raped her in front of everybody. Uh, on, on the set of heart-shaped glasses. Now, I talked to someone who was actually in the room when all of this stuff was filmed and talked to Evan Rachel Wood. And she said, Evan Rachel, it was totally consensual and it, the sex was not real. And Evan Rachel Wood was all like happy and loving it. And she was giving direction to like, oh, I should do this or I should do that. But now what Evan Rachel Wood would have us believe, according to what she says in Phoenix Rising, is that she was so drugged up, that Manson had her so drugged up that she was just out of it. And she didn't and that, that he raped her. And then she was very upset about what had happened. She claims that she was very, very upset. Well, that's not what I hear. And there's just no way that was just it's just ridiculous. So, you know, that's the problem I have, too, is that there are stories that have been told. There are lies that have been told that are just that are just beyond the pale, that are just absurd. And if anybody would bother to look at it, they would see that. We've only got about five minutes left, Colonel Kurtz. If, you, if the viewers are watching, you've got any questions for Colonel Kurtz, please put them in the chat and we'll get them to her before we close. I've got a little bit of a question as well then. So you've touched on the factors that motivate women to make false allegations then. Let me just see if I can list these. So you've got the financial incentive. You've got attention-seeking. And I would also add into that the fact that there are really any consequences for making such allegations. Do you think that's the perfect storm? I do think it's the perfect storm. Adding in, you know, maybe a, a touch of un unfortunately mental illness here or there, and and you know, and also just bad feelings from the fact that Manson maybe only dated them a night or a week or or whatever, and he didn't call after that. You know, you do see that coming up in some of these allegations. Uh, but yeah, I do think that's I do think that's the perfect storm. And I just want to say, you know, since this is a show where you you look at um, you look at tough issues like pedophilia and sexual predation and stuff. I, 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 as much as anyone believe that if someone, if there's evidence that someone has actually done something abusive to someone has done something criminal or whatever, that they should be punished. And so I think that the, one of the big obstacles that I've been facing and trying to get the word out on cases like this is that people assume that because I have chosen as my work, mostly to defend people from false accusations, instead of going after predators, that that means that I don't believe predation happens or that it shouldn't be punished. On the contrary, it happens all over the place. It happens way too much and it should be. It's just that for whatever reason, this is kind of the calling that I've, I've sort of taken up in some ways, at least related to, at least regarding some of these high profile media cases like Johnny Depp and like Marilyn Manson. Do you think then that cases like Marilyn Manson's are a smokescreen 
For others, for example, in our country, we had Jimmy Savile, who was the most famous television celebrity of the day when I was a kid. His crimes spanned decades and he got away with it. Do you think people like that, you know, Marilyn Manson, it's, it's, a, it's a way to divert attention from, from the real criminals? I mean, I don't... Uh... I don't think that it's some kind of, you know, orchestrated conspiracy or anything like that. I don't, from what I have read of these women's motivations and everything, I don't think that that in this case enters into it. However, I will say this. I do think that society has always, for thousands of years, has always liked to scapegoat and often scapegoat innocence. And so I think that Marilyn Manson is just a really easy target for a lot of the legitimate anger that people do have about the fact that we've got a lot of sexual predation and a lot of abuse and violence in our society. And so the, the intent is good. The, the, the feeling that people have is good, but it's a problem when it gets misdirected. And I think that we have to be careful when, when allegations are directed against someone who would be such an easy target because he has cultivated this satanic image. I think in those cases, we need to be even more careful because we know that the biases against that person, not only in society, but in our own hearts and minds, the biases against that person are very strong. Have you looked at the Michael Jackson case? Mm -hmm. I So I I have not looked into it enough to to give you my firm opinion on it, but I have looked into it enough to say that there is a lot, there are a lot of warning signs for me with with the allegations and with some of the accusers and i think some of those i think some of the issues with, with some of the accusers came out in that trial and i wish the media had covered the trial more fairly because i think that i think the jury probably made the right decision on that but i have to be fair and say that i haven't investigated it looked into it enough to have a firm opinion but i definitely think that there's there's questionable stuff in that case as well and that he may be innocent what about the fact that he admitted that he was sleeping with kids, even though he said he just liked to be around kids? Isn't that? Yeah, I know that's well. It's interesting because that's the thing. I've had this discussion uh, with my uh, with my husband before because we were watching the Martin Bashir documentary, and I had already read some stuff about the fact that that Jackson may actually be innocent. But he, but that's what the, that's the thing my husband kept getting stuck on, and he was like he was like Kristen. That's my name. He's like Kristen. He said that he sleeps with boys. End of story. End of. <laughs> You know, and I totally understand that perspective and that that may be the right perspective. It's just that I also, from what I've read of Michael Jackson's biography, I know that he's a he's a very eccentric person. I know that. I, I, let me put it this way. I do think that it is theoretically possible for someone with a with a different sort of character or way of looking at the world to to share a bed with a child and for there not to be for there not to be anything bad, any sexual activity, any predation or anything. Do I know in the, in the Jackson case? No. And he shouldn't have said that. It wasn't helpful. And I mean, he has in some ways no one else to blame but himself if people do have this perception of him. I mean, I understand a family member or a babysitter uh, in those circumstances sleeping next to the child, but for complete strangers to be bringing their kids to him uh, in, in like some wholesale uh, capacity just seem, seems really weird. Let's it's let's let's. <laughs> Let, let's ask the viewers what they think. We're, we're about to run out of time. Okay, viewers, do you think that Michael Jackson committed crimes against kids? Put a one. If you think Michael Jackson was innocent of all that, put a two. 
I know there were a number of inconsistencies in the accuser's stories and also that uh, there were people like Michael Jackson's former bodyguard or Brett Barnes uh, and Macaulay Culkin and, and people like that who spent a lot of intimate time, one-on-one -on -one time with Michael Jackson and say that nothing happened. And of course, Wade Robson had said for years and years and years that nothing had happened and changed his mind. So again, I don't know. I don't want to go out on that limb, but I definitely think it's something worth looking into. So we got quite a few ones there and quite a few twos as well. Again, it's um, one of those contentious issues in society, isn't it? Because if he was found absolutely guilty, you know, radio stations would probably stop playing his music and stuff like that. We've got a predator over here called Gary Glitter who was found guilty. And even the Spice Girls had to take his song out of their movie. And he's, he's, he's not, yeah, he's not played anymore. And, um, but yeah, with, with, with Jackson, it, it remains a mystery. Hmm. All right. So if there's anyone, oh, we've got another question coming for you here. Um, Kit Spiken, did Manson say anything negative about the record companies? Did he say anything negative about the record companies? Can you uh, elaborate? Kip, can you elaborate on that question, please? Did he say anything about, negative about the record well, he was companies? Dropped, he was dropped by his record label and his manager and like all of that. He was dropped by everybody, but he has not responded to that. All He, he really, Manson has uh, not really responded. He put out a brief statement, which I think is a good one. You can still read it on his Instagram, his Twitter. And then he also posted his lawsuit when he filed the lawsuit, but he's not spoken. He's been very, otherwise, he's been very, very quiet. Oh, here we go. We've got the follow-up. Did he upset the labels, hence why there's been a witch hunt? Oh, that's interesting. Well, I, you know what? I have yet to uh, to hear that theory, so good for you. That's one I've not heard or considered. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think... My, like, my perception of this is that it's not some like conspiracy that's coming from the labels or the music industry or anything like that. I think that we're... And I don't know how it is in, again in Britain, but we're just in the midst right now in, in America of this very sort of uh, um, high, highly charged Me Too Puritanism. And I think it's, a, I think Me Too is kind of overcorrecting now in a number of ways. And so we've just got a lot of this stuff. This stuff is just kind of in the air here. And so there's a real, and so I think that again, this is sort of a real window of opportunity for people to make charges, especially against an unpopular man and and be believed so you know evan rachel wood and and some of these others they got a huge two-part hbo documentary out of this i mean evan the whole documentary is about evan rachel wood and her fight against manson it's two parts on hbo she's getting all of this status she's getting uh, tons of like write-ups in the new york times photo shoots she's being she's doing the press tour being called people's heroes you know drew, drew barrymore was actually like crying over her and saying you're my hero and you know basically just freaking out on tv like all of that especially for someone who has some frankly some i think identity issues perhaps borderline personality disorder like amber heard all, all of these things factor in and then for the other women again i think that it's just a lot of women with dead-end careers or no careers or whatever just kind of trying to get what they can before frankly the door you know slams them on the way out do you think this is an effective weapon then? Because even if someone clears the name, there's a lot of the public will think there's no smoke without fire. And I imagine, you know, the, the financial burden, the trauma, psychological, everything that someone would have to go through who's that famous to be on the receiving end of such allegations, even if he is not ever found guilty, they have still 
managed to destroy him to an extent. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say that. And my hope is that this defamation lawsuit, <clears throat> excuse me, this defamation lawsuit will be successful and that he will achieve some degree of restitution or redemption or restoration as his best friend, Johnny Depp did. They're actually best friends. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's you can't uh, you can't put the genie back in the bottle in a lot of ways. And what I would hope is that people would begin. I understand that the Me Too thing happened and Weinstein and all of that. And, and it was a big sort of societal reset. And it's like we're, we're pro victims now and all of that. But it has overcorrected in some ways. The net has been cast too wide. And I hope that there would be a kind of a shift in societal attitudes toward understanding that we do need to preserve the presumption of innocence, not only in our courts, but also in the court of public opinion. Because, I, and, and also, I just want to say finally that a number of people don't have sympathy for celebrities in these situations because they think, well, they're already rich. So who cares? All right. Manson, he's already worth millions of dollars. So whatever if he loses everything. Yeah, it's just, that's, that's, that's not how life is. And he has definitely taken, a, am sure, a huge financial hit. And I mean, the, the lawyers, like $500 an hour to pay lawyers and PR and all of this stuff, right? Like, that's huge. And then he's not able to tour, which, as you know, is the number one way that musicians bring in money and stuff. So yeah, his stuff's doing well on Spotify and the downloads are going up and everything. But his career is, is, is over at this moment. And not only that, but he is not, he, everywhere he goes, people think he's a rapist. And so he is suffering and it doesn't matter how much money one has, that kind of suffering is suffering and it is unjust. Got a question from Scott. How hard is it for women to come forward? The police will always take a report. It's serious in America. I'm not an expert, honestly, on the, the our criminal justice system. I know that, you know, you you hear stories or you read stories about it taking forever for police to po process rape kits and about how, you know, the wheels of justice are slow. And of course, we have tremendous bureaucracies over here, problematic and, and everything. Um, I do not doubt that it is extremely difficult for women who have been assaulted to come forward both psychologically and then just to go through the process. And unfortunately, because a lot of this stuff does come down to subjective, he said, she said stories rather than actual, you know, uh, uncontestable, uh, incontrovertible evidence, then yes, a lot of the time women, women who are assaulted will not be able to, will not be able to get um, the, the, the punishment or the justice that they seek. However, we are in an imperfect world, but I do not think that the answer is to start punishing innocent people or to just do away with the presumption of innocence and say, we're just going to assume people are guilty now when they're accused. That is not the, that's not the way we want to go. We have to make peace with the imperfection of life and criminal justice systems and everything, but we need to protect the rights of the accused. Okay. We've got another guest coming in a minute. I've just got a final question. And that is, do you think there should be something in the justice system whereby there's consequences for women making false allegations. They should get thrown in prison as a deterrent. Boy, that is a tough one because on the one hand, you know, freedom of speech is another one of the values that I really champion. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that even Amber Heard defaming Johnny Depp and ruining him as she did for a while, that even she should be entitled to her free speech. And there were some people saying that it was wrong that she could even bring, that he could even bring defamation charges against her. I don't know. I do feel that there should be consequences for what 
has been done to Johnny Depp and what is being done to Marilyn Manson and some of these other men. I just don't know that I've worked out in my mind what those should be, but it's definitely a fair question. And I do think certainly if nothing else, there's, I do believe in a law of karma. And I do mm. think that people who do this kind of stuff in the end, it's not going to serve them well. Definitely. Thank you, Colonel Kurtz. Can you let the viewers know where they can find you and support you and follow you? Yeah. So I think you have my links below. Basically there's my main channel where I do a lot of the celebrity stuff. And then actually coincidentally, I just started a true crime channel and I think you have the link for that too. I've just got a couple of videos up, but I'm covering the Idaho murders. I don't know if you've heard about those, but those are a big deal over here. So. Well, we hope to get you back on at some point in the future. Thank you for being so generous with your time this evening and you have a great rest of your day at your mom's house. At my mom's house, we are celebrating Thanksgiving, which I know you don't have over there. So you can be jealous. Thanksgiving for the for the bloody getting rid of the bloody Brits. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I guess that could be part of it. It's all mixed in there. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, cheers. Take care. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So, yep, two fascinating guests so far. We've had Chris Hansen, and now we've just discussed the Marilyn Manson case. I learned a lot from Colonel Kurtz. I was not hip to the shenanigans behind the scene though. You just see these headlines in the media. And that is why this strategy is so weaponized because people just think there's no smoke without fire. And any crimes against women, crimes against kids, I mean, these scumbags are the lowest of the low people who commit those crimes. We've got that natural thing in us to protect women and to protect kids. So even when we hear that people are accused of that without going to a court of law and being proven innocent or guilty, just the mere accusation of that causes our blood to boil. <laughs> I was just uh, thinking I was just thinking about you the other day, Charlie. Oh no. <laughs> what did i do i was going over some of our back catalog i was uploading it to rumble mm-hmm. and i was i was watching i was dipping in here and there on on you know the the, the partner of evil series yeah. and just the comprehensive research you've done man and, and all the collaborations you've done with us over the years a huge thank you well thank really, you really 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 appreciate it yeah. yeah you know I always appreciate your take on this stuff because you have a you have a unique uh, perspective most people don't have. You met a lot of these types in, you know, in in a previous life and you know how they think and you know how they operate. And so you bring a an understanding of this stuff that goes beyond just what you read in the newspapers or what you see online or anything like that. You 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 go. You bring something that none of us have, which is a real, uh, real life experience dealing with with some of these, you know, dangerous individuals that you've come across. You know how they think. You write books about them. They, you know, they explain to you their thought process, and I think that that helps. And I'm just trying to organize the information. That's what I'm doing. So, oh, I appreciate that, Charlie. Especially coming from you, and yeah. The, you've made me remember my new book is out it's out and it's out on ebook um today it, it, it's called elite predators from jimmy savile and lord mountbatten to max and ep let's just say yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh it's the way business gets done a lot of times unfortunately you gotta have somebody that's willing to cross these lines 
and they have those people and those people are very effective at, 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 because we won't cross the lines. They will. And so it frees them up to commit atrocities that we would never even consider. And yet to them, they can just outsource that. Like you would go on Upwork or something and find a guy that's really good at video editing. You're like, we need somebody in our team that's good at blackmail. We need somebody that's good at um, sexual entrapment operations and things like that. And they just outsource it like you would, uh, you know, farming out software work into some into Southeast Asia or something. It's it's crazy. It's so normalized to them and 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 so abnormal to the rest of us. Before we get your thoughts on Klaus Schwab, can mm. you just tell the viewers where they can support you online and, and, and get your books and stuff? Sure. Uh, the website is theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. You can find out information about the books there. They're all available on Amazon. There's three of them out there. You can just search my name and you'll you'll find them. I've got an episode um, of macroaggressions that went out on Sunday that was an interview with, speaking of books, uh, John Perkins, Confessions of an Economic Hitman author. That book changed my life. I read that in 2007 and it connected a bunch of dots that I didn't know I didn't even know there were dots, you know, and he, he laid them out and connected. So I have that interview that just went out uh, on Sunday and a new one today uh, called the crypto Manson family about the FTX, uh, the, the details behind that. And I'm going to tell you right now, Sean, it is smelling more and more like an intelligence operation to me. There's a lot of the same characters. There's a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot more to it. It's an iceberg. You think what you think you you think it's just a a crypto exchange bank run that and then you then you look beneath that iceberg and you find all all sorts of other things. So if people are interested in catching that episode, macroaggressions is available as a podcast everywhere and in video format on band.video, Rockfin, Odyssey, and now vigilante.tv. Right. So Klaus Schwab, then I have been watching videos on Schwab doing speeches all day and he's talking about defragmentation, you, you know, unifying the various uh, countries. And didn't aren't these echoes from another German leader of uh, 100 years or so ago? <laughs> you know, and it's funny because Klaus's dad uh, was was a part of that machine in Germany back in the, the 30s and 40s uh, with Escher Wesch. They were building, you know, the ball bearings that were needed. They were building uh, lots of things uh, that were needed for the German war machine. And then ultimately, when Klaus took over, he was trying to unify the world by selling some countries uh, parts of uh, centrifuge machines that they needed in order to enrich uranium so that they could have nuclear missiles. So a really dangerous family. Like when you just dig back into who they are and what they do and where they work and they're German or Swiss industrialists and, and okay, that's fine. But were you collaborating during the war? They weren't just collaborating. They were winning awards for uh, this is the type of, uh, I forget the exact terminology, but it was like, uh, uh, this is a, an example of a very well done Nazi factory. And, and, and the, there's a certain de designation that they put it in. It was like his father's company was in that, that designation. And so when you start from a family tree that is, were, co-conspirators with the Nazis you're 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 in a different difficult place and and Klaus was was groomed for this you know he was put through uh London School of Economics where you get a certain flavor there he was put through um uh the 
the Kennedy School in New York, uh, Harvard Kennedy School, where you get uh, the finishing touches by mentors such as uh, Henry Kissinger, who is I explaining to you the ins and outs of global governance. And yeah, it should be no surprise to anybody that he followed in his uh, family's footsteps. And, and, and his mentors were all the worst people that you could find. And, and that's who's guiding him towards this World Economic Forum. And they're just, they're just looking to unite the world, you know, just, just you know, into a one world government. That's all. <laughs> Let's expand on that then. I know, I know there's some aspects of that we can't cover. Right. Such as such as the uh, the cure to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, what is his end game then? Well, so the plan is the fourth industrial revolution. That's what they talk about. The first industrial revolution is like wheels, you know, and like steam, and and then it goes to like silicon and computer chips. And fourth industrial revolution, admittedly by them, is the blending of man with machine transhumanism that is the that is the plan that is what we will do now the sales pitch is is like it's like you've gone to hawaii and and they've roped you into a timeshare presentation you know the sales pitch is just like everything is great everything's going to be fine you're going to you're going to be on vacation more than you ever know you're going to be here all the time then you get home and you realize i've made a catastrophic mistake and i need to cancel this timeshare but that's the sales pitch for for the fourth industrial the, the build back better it's going to be great you're going to live in a smart city you're going to have you know you don't you'll own nothing but you won't need anything you'll just be on a a rent to own sort of situation or or ride share you know ubers and that sort of mentality you just you you you'll pay for it per use as you need it, but you'll never own anything, but that's okay. Cause you don't need to own anything. Cause we're all going to be living in harmony and you don't need a car. We won't, you know, we'll, you'll be in this city. That's all connected by trains and this and that. And, 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 you know, you'll have more than enough food and we're going to engineer you, your body with, with these, these nano parts, particles that that are going to help you and and that way we'll be able to know when you're sick and we'll be able to treat your sickness before you're even sick you know all of this to me sounds like what i envisioned the sales pitch for communism was you, you we're all going to be in this this utopia where we work just enough to you know we work but everything's kind of there and the food's there and everything and what you get instead when the sales pitch goes away is you get gray soviet era buildings with no creativity that all look like the most depressing place you've ever been. You get uh, a complete inversion of this sales pitch. So that's the plan is transhumanism. The sales pitch is it will help you. It's going to augment your body. It's going to improve you. And, and look, I, I got to say, I'm all for medical advances. I definitely think it's, it's, it's amazing if you're somebody that lost the lower part of your leg that you can have a prosthetic leg. I'm all for that. That, that, that's, that's amazing. But that's not what these guys want. These guys aren't doing this because they're, um, you know, altruistic charity, you know, charitable foundations and groups just looking to better the world. They're doing this to get you into a digital prison that you can't get out of and that they will control and that the corporations that partner with them will be in charge of. And they've, they've been very upfront about this. I mean, all the things that we talk about, the downsides of the World Economic Forum can be found on their website, weforum.org. You can go there and see all of this. And, and yes, they also have a 
one of the spokes on this big wheel that they've got is the thing that we're not allowed to mention the magic potion, but they've been talking about that since before it was even out. You know, they talked about how that, how the, the, a pandemic or they specifically named the pandemic would be transformational for them would be very helpful for, for creating the sense of urgency to get into this fourth industrial revolution, you know? So, so that's the, that's the ultimate plan is transhumanism. It's not me speculating. They say it in their writings. They talk openly about it. They, 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 they're proud of it. They think it's going to be great. But the problem is that we're having this conversation through computers. Everybody's had software glitches. Everybody knows what can go wrong when your computer hard drive, you know, blanks out on you or you can't restart it or whatever. The idea of these people, the worst people in the world, by the way, being in charge of the computer hardware and software that goes into your body that you can't get out. I'm just not interested in that. And I don't think a lot of people are. So is one scenario a totalitarian Hunger Games style caste system with a depopulation agenda? Yes. And, and the depopulation agenda is a thread that runs through all of this stuff and has for a long, long time. It's not new. It's not specific to to the World Economic Forum. They don't really come right out and talk about it too much, but they the other groups do. Trilateral Commission, uh, Club of Rome, United Nations. All of these groups talk about that that the population is exploding. We just hit a milestone of eight billion people on this planet, and of course, all the eugenicists come out and they start talking about how this this beautiful planet that we're on can't support all of this. And they talk about scarcity and they talk about too many people. Well, the truth of the matter is they want to create a one world government. They're very open about this. And they've also recognized, I think rightly so that it is easier for them to create a one world government when there are fewer people than they, that they have to control. So step one is get rid of a bunch of the people before the world government comes in, because it's just, just from a, logic standpoint it's just easier to deal to do this when there's fewer people that will put up a fight so it's always a, a, an underlying theme of these people is depopulation eugenics uh mentality but the term eugenics has been co-opted i mean it's been it uh, people know what it means now they know the negative sides of of that it's not pruning your rose bushes and making them healthier for next season it's murdering people okay and and they've changed the ner the the terminology for it right it used to be eugenics and now they talk about it in a different way they they use terms like transhumanism but that is code for that that is what it is ultimately about it's a different rebranding of it it's a different ner uh, terminology but it's the same underlying theme well said we've only got about 5 minutes left and you've piqued my curiosity in the ftx scam being an intelligence agency operation i mean i'm suspicious i saw these you know this narrative that these protege uh harvard kids or whatever they are um you know tens of billions have just gone into a black hole when tens of billions just go poof it's usually some kind of major sophisticated operation uh, perpetrated by people who have put those tens of billions in their own pockets. Yes. So could, could you please expand on this? Yes. Um, so FTX had had a, a lot of money, but they, they took $10 billion of customers' deposits. It's like if you went to Merrill Lynch and opened up an account and, you know, they, they took your, your money and sent it over to their sister company, Alameda Research, which is like a, a really 
high frequency trading, leverage trades, uh, yield farming, arbitrage, all these sort of more, let's just call them advanced financial techniques that are used in traditional finance, but we're finding their, their way into crypto. So they, FTX sends 10 billion to Alameda to play with. They shouldn't have done that. That was illegal. That 10 billion, they didn't lose all of it. They loaned a lot of it out. They loaned a billion dollars to uh, Sam Bankman Fried himself. They loaned a half a billion out to the engineer. And then they sent $2.3 billion to a company called Paper Bird, which is wholly control controlled by Sam Bankman Fried. Nobody is really sure at this point, I'm sure we'll figure it out where that money is. That's the money that went missing and his money went missing. So once Alameda, FTX to Alameda, sister company, Alameda then loans the money back to Sam. Sam then starts his own political action committee, his PAC, where you can donate money to um, political politicians that you want. You can buy your politicians that way. So he donates it to his fund and then his fund donates it to his brother's fund. And his brother's fund starts using that money to finance genetics, genetic research, genes, genomes, all the stuff that the Wellcome Trust is involved in. And all the stuff that the Wellcome Trust is involved in with genes and genetics is part of transhumanism. It's part of the World Economic Forum. And what do you know? FTX's crypto partner is the is uh, the World Economic Forum's crypto partner is FTX. And the crypto partner in Ukraine is also FTX. So what we have is multiple frauds going on. We have them stealing money. We have them using FTX as a laundromat in Ukraine to recycle money that's coming from Biden administration to Ukraine for Zelensky through FTX and then back into the Biden administration back into the Democrats specifically. They're just funneling money to all of these people. So it's going to be, it's a can of worms. That's why I describe it as an iceberg because it, it on the surface, it's just another financial kind of, you know, we were over leveraged and then you dig in, you go, yeah, well, where did that money go? Oh, that money was getting spent on some really, really devious things, including politicians that are pro-lockdown, pro-mandate and anti-gun. A lot of money going to that. And, uh, and of course, a lot of money going to specific Democrats that were um, going to vote favorably on crypto regulation. What a surprise. Where did the money come from, the billions? Where did they raise it from? Well, they raised some of it from venture capital in uh, Silicon Valley. They had partnerships there. They raised some of it... Uh, the the money that was stolen the 10 billion that was stolen was were, were customer deposits so that wasn't that was just customers money so that's like theft obviously it's one thing to 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 say i've got this great idea like theranos or something and raise a bunch of money for from some vcs and then um and then that business goes bust it's quite another thing to steal money to to borrow money from the vcs to make your business in order to attract money from all these mom and pop people that just want to and then you take all their money and steal their money mm, it's really dirty but of course the 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 venture capital firms that back this they're going to lose all theirs as well as sequoia i think already wrote down 200 million dollars of losses i mean i think they're they're all pretty realistic about what's happening here the only question is is it going to get uh, is it going to actually get investigated but they've already put sdny on it which is the southern district of new york um that 
examines financial crimes and that's my, they might as well be they might as well bring in the FBI cover up team if you do that because this the, when as soon as SDNY gets involved you go okay nobody's going to prison this is all going to get this is all going to get uh manipulated and 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 blacked out nobody's ever going to hear anything about this because they are the cover up squad when one of their guys is in trouble uh they'll send them in to to sort everything out so i i i'm i'm fascinated by it I don't have any particular sort of level of confidence that things will actually get the justice will be served. I don't think that exists when you, when you have all these players together. And I think that it's going to be the gift that keeps on giving for us for the next year, as we slowly start to peel apart this onion and find out uh, how, how, how much it's going to make us cry. That is fascinating because the VCs are financial predators. And from what you've just said, they got fleeced by even bigger financial predators. Well, yeah. And, and that happens uh, from time to time. Um, that happens with, um, with, with Theranos, which is funny because Elizabeth Holmes was just sentenced to, to prison uh, yesterday or day before yesterday, I guess. And, um, and, and that story is interesting too, because the venture capitalists that, that funded that, you know, I think there's a whole lot of like, follow the leader going on. I think there's a whole lot of, well, that guy's really smart and he's putting money in. So I'll put money in too. And then they got, you know, they got these big wigs. Like, I think she ripped off like Kissinger and she ripped off a, a bunch of people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dangerous <laughs> person to rip off. <laughs> That's the wrong group to rip off. Yeah. There was like guys that were like former defense secretaries and everything in there. I was like, oh boy, this is somebody that's going to have a rough time in prison if she even makes it there. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, we've run out of time. You're a gen absolute gentleman uh, stepping up at the last minute there. Please remind the viewers where they can find you, support you, stalk you. Yes, yeah, stalk me on Twitter, at Macroaggression. That's fun, where I argue with robots. Uh, follow me, like, uh, I don't subscribe to Macroaggressions as an audio podcast. You might as well. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Just keep it. Uh, I think you'll like the FTX story that I get into. And by the way, if some people are interested in listening to it, it goes deep and we've got a little Epstein component to it that makes me very uncomfortable. So if you if you like Sean's work on, on that and you think that uh, crypto is just a bunch of nerds playing Dungeons and Dragons with money, I got news for you. There's a little bit more to it than that story. So uh, macroaggressions in audio format everywhere. And thank you, Sean, for having me. Yeah, so Charlie's links will be in the description box below this video. So please support his work and can't wait to see you soon, brother. Thank you. Have a great one. Bye. Cheers. Take care. What a phenomenal guest. Next up, we have got a guest that's not been on the channel before, Micah Hanks. And he is the co-founder of The Debrief, covering a vast range of subjects. Some of my favorites, history, science, current events, cultural studies, technology, business, philosophy, unexplained phenomenon and ways the future of humankind may be influenced by science and innovation in the coming decades. However, we're talking government cover-ups of UFOs and unexplained phenomenon. So let's bring Micah in. Hey, Micah, how's it going? It's going very good, Sean. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm doing great. Whereabouts in the world are you? You know, I'm over here in Western North Carolina, and uh, this entire year, as you 
you know, have, have graciously uh, put up with my schedules, taking me all over the place. So it's good to be back here in the Appalachian mountains. And uh, the first thing on my list was to jump on with you today. So how are you? <laughs> oh, really appreciate that. Yeah. What, what got you into this genre that, that I just described in the introduction? You know, it's uh, it's kind of the culmination of a lifelong interest in science and technology. And I mean, I love all this stuff. I mean, you know, as a child, I guess you could say I kind of grew up with a passion for the Fortean. And there's a wonderful publication that's been in print for a number of years over there on your side of the Atlantic Ocean, Fortean Times, uh, you know, which kind of carries on that tradition of Charles Hoy Fort. Now, back in his day, what he really wanted to do was to try and just, you know, smack science in the face. Uh, in my view, I think that real science is open-minded and it and it looks at possibilities and potentials. Uh, and although the majority of my reporting, for instance, at the debrief is covering, you know, breaking news and developments in physics and astronomy, and also biology too, which is just a longtime passion of mine, I still have a desire to report on the stories that see less coverage that involve, for instance, the discoveries of new species, even like, for instance, recently we covered a small uh, clam that was found off the west coast of California. Uh, but this clam was only known previously from the fossil record. And so it was technically a living fossil. Little discoveries like that, no matter how small or fascinating to me, and I love that. So really that in a nutshell is what drives me, just that passion and curiosity. Yeah, I love watching those programs where they send the camera down to the bottom of the ocean and yeah. you see these things that you never knew even existed before. Oh, yeah. Things you couldn't have imagined would exist, especially here <laughs> on Earth. <laughs> okay, so how deep is the government in cover-ups of UFOs? Gosh, you know, right now it's hard to tell if they're just covering anything up or if they're, I don't want to say derelict on their duties, but, you know, we were supposed to be seeing a report delivered over here stateside from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence on October 31st. And we're going on three weeks now, and we haven't seen it. In fact, uh, indications I've gotten from spokespeople at the Pentagon and the ODNI, both of whom I've reached out to, they're saying that we can't comment on that when it hasn't yet been delivered to Congress. And so the expectation would be that at least around October 31st, Congress, right, the, the Senate and the House Intelligence Committees would have gotten their briefings. And then, yeah, okay, a little later on arrival, but the rest of us would have seen this public version of the report, the non-classified version. My understanding is we haven't even seen Congress uh, getting a timely briefing. And the indications we're getting right now from, uh, you know, outlets like the New York Times that have pre-reported based on intelligence officials who've spoken on this matter, they're all kind of saying, ah, this report, don't expect it to play up the mystery of these objects. You know, we're seeing a lot of aerial clutter, a lot of balloons, a lot of things like that. And in fact, the New York Times reporting literally used those very terms, weather balloons, you know, this kind of stuff, which... In the long history of, of this topic, if you look behind me here, of course, you know, I, I have a passion for the history of the topic. These are issues that we've long seen. Um, for instance, with the Roswell case, no matter what you make of it, if you buy the official government explanation of Project Mogul, you have to also accept that that was not the original explanation the public was, public was given. There was a cover-up for many decades to protect a classified program, which was only later revealed decades after the fact. So, People aren't wrong to be a little suspicious about, you know, how forthcoming our government is with the information it possesses on this topic and really the degree to which they have a working understanding of what the implications of these, you know, these UAP, if they're technologies and they are of exotic origin, I think some are, you know, what that really actually means. If you've got a question for Micah, put it in the chat. We've got a question already has come in from Charles. Are UFOs just a smokescreen created by governments to hide very advanced technology? 
Interesting question. You know, I, uh, I have a lot of colleagues who are sympathetic toward that view. And for anyone who may not be 100% up to speed with what that entails, the idea would be that as advancements and innovations in stealth technology and, you know, any number of other kinds of technologies have occurred throughout the decades, the best, the most sophisticated, the most otherworldly seeming technologies, you know, of earthly provenance have been kept under wraps in the deepest black projects and, and the world of, of black budget programs. And the, and the public has thereby been encouraged to believe in things like extraterrestrial visitation and even more exotic possibilities, which was a convenient cover for intelligence officials who didn't want the, the secrets of the technological developments actually being cooked up out at sites like Area 51 and what have you uh, to become public knowledge. Now, although that is by definition a conspiracy theory. And when I use that expression, I don't use it in the, pejor the pejorative way that a lot of people do these days. Um, it is a theory that involves a conspiracy. But I mean, in the past, there have been uh, agencies like the CIA that have, admit have admitted that, you know, it was convenient when we had our U2 programs uh, for the public to believe that those lights they were seeing up there in the sky were alien craft rather than light being reflected off of a high altitude aircraft nobody knew existed at that time. Hmm. So there's historical precedent for that idea. But in my view, Sean, uh, I, I would say that if we look at the, the sum total of the UAP issue or, you know, artists formerly known as UFOs, I still like calling them UFOs myself. If we look at the deeper history of this, there are instances where there are technologies that to me are not easily explained simply through the lens of black budget programs and things along these lines. I suspect that there's a combination of, you know, genuine unknowns and then technologies that are of earthly provenance the sum total of which make up a very complicated UAP history and that bigger picture we're still wrestling with today. Are you able to speculate as to how advanced this technology could be that we are not aware of? You mean the earthly technology that the general... Yeah, yeah you know, I do. And I, I definitely get the impression at times that there are certain kinds of or classes of UAP that have the sort of earmarks of being something of earthly technology. I could give you an example of one that I've long thought about. Uh, these enigmatic black triangles that people report seeing, they're very slow moving, very you know, often silent, um, but these are just larger and different than any kind of known uh, aircraft, although many liken them to being blimp-like in the way that they move. And so there have been theories about a sort of stealth blimp technology, if that is indeed something of ours, that's never been publicly released. Now, the question I also have about them is, though, you know, I've collected very good reports on these, uh, you know, objects, sightings by very credible witnesses over the United States, over Canada, over Australia, over the United Kingdom, you know, over China. So if it's just one country that has this technology, they seem to you know, completely have disregard for you know territorial boundaries, and they don't seem to really have much of a concern about whose airspace they invade. That's a real problem, and that's one thing that to me is difficult to try and reconcile with the idea of it being our technology. But I've certainly wondered if some of those some aren't ours. Just want to do a quick poll on the viewers. Then put a one in the chat if you think that UFOs cannot be explained by human technology. Put a two in the chat if you don't believe that UFOs can be explained from outer space. And we will go over to a question from Matt while those results come in. So Matt Linneman said, are the authorities setting the narrative for an upcoming fake alien invasion? 
Therefore, they use fear to protect us. Another possibility, uh, you know, again, I try to deal with these things in terms of their potential likelihood, but I mean, I'm a kid who grew up loving comic books and one of my all time favorites is Watchmen, right? Uh, you know, Alan Moore and this story, of course, spoiler alert, it involves that very kind of a premise where a fake, really actually a, a Lovecraftian monstrosity, a kind of biological organism is concocted uh, synthetically and dropped on New York to give the impression of an alien invasion and unite humanity and thereby prevent you know, mutually assured self-destruction during the Cold War. So could that kind of thing happen in, in the real world? Again, it's obviously a possibility. But based on the latest intelligence assessments that have been made public and also, of course, you know, intelligence officials who have come forward and talked about UAP and observations of them, detections, and also uh, study of the data collected about them in recent years, I don't think that there's any kind of uh, indication that this is something that the government is, is you know, involved with and trying to hide from the public and that there's some sort of a nefarious intent. Best I can tell, they're genuinely concerned about, you know, foreign surveillance by Russia or China or another state actor or other possibilities. But those possibilities, of course, are just potentials. So as far as what's most likely, I really think there are some things here on Earth that aren't easily reconciled with known technologies. Our government's obviously interested in them. Uh, I don't think there's a degree of certainty about what they are. I don't think personally that there is an effort to try and prepare us for a fake alien invasion. But you never know. <laughs> We've got mostly ones in the chat, in the poll. So people do believe generally that there are UFOs outside of human reasons. We've got a question from Tesla and Humanity. Uh, well, more of a statement. We are the aliens hybrids. That's our junk DNA. So there's this theory going around that aliens landed on the Earth thousands of years ago. And the... DNA was fused with human DNA. Have you heard anything about that theory? Well, you know, I've often wondered, you know, as we as humans here on Earth are steadily working toward developing ever more advanced artificial intelligence, without, at times, I feel, a complete uh, working knowledge or, or, uh, or, or you know, kind of a, a mindset in terms of where this could lead and what the potentials might be, I've often wondered, you know, what if some other intelligence long ago created a highly advanced artificial intelligence, the likes of which, you know, exceeds any kind of form of technology we would even recognize? Again, evoking Clark's third law about significantly advanced technologies, you know, being perceived as magic by a lesser advanced civilization. Um, in, in essence, I've wondered, you know, what if we were somebody else's AI, right? Uh, and the stories, the legends about gods from yore, you know, are something akin to the, the likes of which we'd see in films like Prometheus. Now, uh, is that a likely scenario? Again, I don't know. But the idea that we could have been visited, that Earth might have been visited a long time ago, is actually something that many astronomers I've spoken to have entertained. A couple of reasons for that. One, even those who are dismissive of there being an extraterrestrial connection with some modern accounts involving UAP, they would argue, well, first of all, if Earth was ever visited humans have been on earth about this long and then here's the amount of time you know that, that in terms of the, the the age of our universe uh, even beyond just the age of earth so in the amount of time that humans have been here on earth there's a whole lot of time before we ever got here that any potential visitation is more likely to have occurred as a matter of probability 
Um, but another reason would be if, if we look at the idea of a Big Bang and we consider that the universe is constantly expanding, at an earlier stage, the distances between star systems would have actually been less. And so if there had been an advanced civilization that came along a long time ago, again, uh, I almost dread to use this expression in this context, but ancient aliens in the most literal sense, it would have been easier for them to travel from one point to another. And so, again, some astronomers actually are very sympathetic to that idea that if Earth was ever visited, it probably did happen a long time ago. Matthew Steeples has sent a question. Any thoughts on Rendlesham Forest incident in the UK in 1980 and the late Georgina Bruni book, You Can't Tell the People, Margaret Thatcher, UFOs, you must get your facts right and you can't tell the people. You know, uh, I've got Roswell behind me, but if if Britain had a Roswell, and I believe it does, it's the, the Rendlesham case. I've seen the skeptical arguments that it was, you know, the Orford uh lighthouse and that that's what the you know charles halt and, and the other officials who were walking through the forest there in suffolk had seen but i've also met john burroughs i've spoken to a lot of the individuals who were involved i know nick pope pretty well and of course he wrote a book about that a few years ago um and based on my general feeling having reviewed the documentation and the data i strongly suspect that there was a uap incident that occurred there uh, on that occasion i think that you know burroughs and others will tell you that they're even a little unsure about some of their own memories. And this is something that you actually see quite a lot, especially when there's Air Force involvement with UAP incidents over time. So what exactly occurred? I'm not sure, but I do believe that those uh, servicemen experienced something that they couldn't easily explain, and it very well may have involved UAP. And I'm always intrigued by those insinuations about time travel, uh, which that case has an element of that. Some of the uh, the witnesses who were involved, they also believe that Rather than being extraterrestrial visitation, this might have represented some form of time travel. Uh, and even if that's not a theory that people are as warm to as the ET hypothesis, you know, all bets are off when it comes to how we really reconcile with this phenomenon. We have not determined what it is yet. And if there are indeed exotic technologies that are unaccounted for, we should be willing to look beyond just our favorite theories. We should look at all possibilities and potentials. Randallsham kind of gives us a, an avenue toward exploring some of those possibilities. So what communication technology is currently active that governments are employing to send signals into space to see if anything out there sends something back? I guess that would be with reference to like METI. You know, we hear about SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, but a more active uh, means of rather than just detecting signals, we might potentially try to send signals to other star systems. We have those capabilities, especially when it comes to optical means, using lasers to, you know, burst, uh, well, essentially, you know, bright flashes across the cosmos, kind of like what we may be observing with some of these strange fast radio bursts. I've looked uh, pretty deeply into the fast radio bursts, and while I think that there are probably natural mechanisms that can explain most of those, um, it isn't an impossibility that we may eventually detect or may even have already detected evidence of something along the lines of optical SETI or some other similar uh, signal from the stars. But, you know, there are all these folks who have said over the years it may be dangerous to do that. We don't know what the intentions are of any extraterrestrial visitors. If we look at, um, if we look at UAP and we look at the more truly exotic sounding cases where people have alleged to have seen occupants or even interacted with them, one resounding theme tends to be that they act like scientists in some rare instances they've even kind of described themselves as being such or indicated that they were uh, but for the most part they just want to seem to try and avoid us 
that's probably a good sign. Uh, and if indeed ET visitation is any part of the UAP mystery, uh, the fact that they're trying to keep their distance either says a lot about humans or it's maybe a promising aspect of all this because it doesn't seem to you know betray any kind of overt hostile intent. So again, those are all speculative, but in my view, I don't see any potential dangers right away. And for the time being, considering the distances between us and other you know, perspective uh, technologies out there, if they're trying to signal to us, interstellar space is a hard bridge to gap. And there's a very distinct likelihood we won't ever get there, nor will they ever get here. So I say maybe we can actually learn something if we successfully communicate. Why not go for it? Mike, have any governments ever recorded and released sounds they've received from outer space? I have heard in a few instances, Sean, uh, you know, speculations about that. Uh, I don't know of anything that's ever been confirmed. Uh, now, there are uh, some who still argue that the famous wow signal, you probably remember that one. This is a uh, instance a number of years ago where an extraordinary signal that went right off the charts was recorded. Uh, it, it was later determined, and, and there have been a lot of different speculations on what the source may have been, something natural, radio emissions, you know, from a distant natural source, maybe something even closer to home, microwave interference from, you know, technology, like literally in the lab or someplace nearby to the facility where that was recorded. Um, it's possible, though, I would say that indeed there have been messages that have been collected that weren't recognized as being such. And it may be the case that later on down the road with better data, we may recognize that, oh, some things that we've ruled out as being messages uh, and didn't think for a long time that's what they were. They may actually prove to be. They were hiding under our noses all along. But I don't know of any uh, instances where sounds, signals, or other kinds of information uh, have been released by the government that are presumed to have come from a technological source. Now, we hear all kinds of interesting sounds that are of natural origin. Again, I mentioned radio emissions from you know the rings of Saturn, things like this. There are a lot of kinds of noises that come from space. And if you have the right electromagnetic detection uh, apparatus. I suppose you can trans, you know, trans, transmit or translate those into an audible source. Um, I think that if you're actually out there in space, you wouldn't hear anything. In the vacuum, it would be completely silent, but you wouldn't want to be out there without your spacesuit anyway. <laughs> so we've only got 10 minutes left with Micah. If you're watching this and you've got any questions, this is your last chance to put them in the chat. Gene Thornton has submitted a question. What does Micah make of the ancient land of Tartaria the mud flood and its great reset that erased history. You know, that's um, a very interesting uh, concept. It's not unlike, of course, you know, perhaps better known um, alleged lost civilizations like Atlantis. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. This is a bit of a, a controversial discussion right now because, of course, there's a very popular Netflix series involving some of these kinds of ideas starring uh, Graham Hancock. But I've always been fascinated with those legends. And in addition to Atlantis or Tartaria, you know, you've got all these other kinds of ideas of, of you know, supercontinents, lost civilizations, things like this, lost islands, you know, St. Brennan's Isle, uh, the Fortunate Isles. And, uh, and those traditions seem to be mirrored and reflected in cultures all around the world. I have a hard time not thinking that there isn't some sort of connection. It may not be everything that the myths and legends make them out to be, but that's the important thing about myths and legends. They can have a basis in reality that becomes mythologized and, you know, hero stories and other mythological tropes are kind of compounded onto that, which is sort of a way of almost nesting a, a reality in a, in, you know, in a bubble, in an egg of sorts of mythology that helps it carry on through traditions over time and be recalled and remembered. 
I'll just say this. If you look at, for instance, the Azores out there in the middle of the Atlantic, and I've been there and visited them. A lot of people think of them as probably, if you've never been there, you know, these uh, beautiful uh, tropical islands. It's very much not the case that you're going to go there and you're going to see the kind of island you're used to seeing. You're going to see pine trees. You're going to see birds and fish. And it's going to be a lot more almost like the Pacific Northwest when you get up into the mountains. But back during the last ice age, when sea levels were lower and other factors influenced, you know, that landmass, you're going to see a whole lot more land exposed. It would have been very much like the kind of islands that our legends talk about. So I don't rule out those possibilities, but I think that they're heavily mythologized over time. There may be a basis of truth there. So Tesla's asked a question. I don't know if you're going to have much of an answer for this. He wants to know if you believe there are super soldiers on Mars in underground bases. <laughs> uh, not on Mars, but, but you know, it depends on how you define a super soldier. Uh, certainly there are underground bases. Uh, yeah, I know that this is something that often gets really kind of conspiracy theory, uh, you know, oriented, but, but I mean, it's just a fact that there are a lot of underground facilities. And if by super soldier, we mean, you know, individuals who are, you know, uh, extremely well-suited, uh, you know, they are, they're, you know, the peak of, of their physical game and everything. And they are basically the very best of the best. I mean, sure, you could say that, but it depends, I guess, on how you define a super soldier. As far as like mutants cooked up in a laboratory, you know, Captain America type stuff, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> yeah, there's, if you want, if people want to have an example of super soldiers, watch the documentary Madness on the Motorway about those Scandinavian sisters. I remember that. It's yeah. one of my favorite documentaries. They run into the traffic, get run over, bounce up, attack the police. And that's just how it begins. They yeah. go on the rampage across the UK. Yeah. All right, so next question is from Nathaniel. Um, can you have a vacuum of space without sucking the air uh, off the planet? Atmosphere. Oh, off, off, um, yeah, atmosphere, atmosphere. atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Is the universe infinite or multiverse? And Scott? You know, I've always been a fan of a multiverse and mathematically. That makes sense. But then again, I think that when we look at black holes, there was a recent study we reported on over, over at the debrief.org recently talking about how wormholes may already have been detected, but they are so similar to black holes that we can't really distinguish. And so we're working on ways that mathematically and otherwise we can make those distinctions. Yeah, it's, it's possible that there's a whole lot more to the universe. And eventually those distinctions may lead to a better understanding of a literal multiverse. Dob wants to know, did Elon Musk fake the launching of a Tesla car into space? I, d I don't think so. Best I know, it's actually up there. But I'm thinking, gosh, what a waste. I'd really love to have a Tesla car right down here on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Scott wants to know if the Nazis have underground UFO bases in the Antarctic. I don't know about the Antarctic bases, but I certainly believe that there probably were some technologies that uh, you know the Third Reich had been developing at the end of the Second World War. Maybe not Nazi UFOs, but... Uh, Definitely some some advanced aircraft that were highly influential with Project Paperclip when they were brought back to the United States. And those scientists came to work for us in Huntsville, Alabama. Jan C., are we living in a virtual reality and we've simply reached the stage where they are going to reset everything and start again? Gosh, we could spend a whole 20 minutes on this one, Sean. <laughs> you know, I, I love that idea of a simulated reality. Uh, and uh, there have been some, some mathematicians and physicists in recent years who have made very compelling arguments um, that, uh, that our base reality as we experience it is not the full picture, that indeed we may be uh, in a simulation. And, and in fact, there are even uh, you know, mathematical equations that seem to point to a structured element within the lattice of reality that, I mean, basically, according to mathematicians, computer programmers, even they say it looks artificial. That could be just some sort of a strange you know, element of nature that we've yet to fully resolve. But to me, 
that's really compelling and it really makes you wonder. Yeah, if you look at the Fibonacci series or fractals, it, it really does make you wonder. It really, really does, yeah. Scott wants to know, can we receive messages through our teeth? Uh, this is almost like Richard Sharp Shaver <laughs> stuff. You know, he had been working in an auto uh, facility in Michigan back in the 50s, and he claimed that he was running a drill and he could hear these strange messages from these detrimental robots below ground. I don't know if we can or not, but I know there are people who have claimed that. <laughs> Kids, kids wants to know, referring to UFOs, I believe, could these matters be a diabolical deception? You know, I mean, since time immemorial, human beings have always tried to interpret phenomena we don't understand and ascribe agency to them. Again, a thousand years ago or even 500 years ago or even more recently, people have ascribed that kind of demonic or angelic agency. It's just one of many different interpretations of a phenomena that we still have no real idea what it represents. Micah, do you think trees are high? Did land in Earth? Trees are uh, high? Trees are, I don't know who trees are high is. I'm drawing a blank on that one, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, if we are the only intelligent life in the universe, that would be amazing. And if not, it would still be amazing. So when you consider then infinite time, what could possibly exist over infinite time? Is that beyond our comprehension? It is because, you know, humans, we live and breathe by life and death, day and night, right? Uh, right and left and up and down. We, we tend to have very binary thinking. Uh, the idea of our universe being infinite would mean that there'd have to be infinite possibilities. And therefore, almost anything you could imagine is conceivable, which is really difficult to kind of reconcile with. But if you are open-minded, uh, it's not impossible. And to me, it's, it's a fascinating possibility. Does that mean over infinite time we could indeed develop the technology to zap ourselves to where extraterrestrials are? I do. Yeah. You know, these uh, ideas with respect to physicists too often describe how difficult interstellar uh, travel is and how hard that would be on biological organisms. I think that if we get to a point where, and some of this is controversial, but if we're getting into, uh, you know, intelligence amplification, artificial intelligence, you know, working in tandem with humanity or maybe actually, um, the, the foregoing of biological organisms all together in favor of, of you know, synthetic life forms. There are a lot of possibilities in terms of how we could overcome those problems. So I would say that for humans right now, biological organisms as, as capable as we are, but with the very best technologies at our current disposal, no, we can't do that. But that's not to say that another civilization that may have progressed or even, you know, transcended, so to speak, biological uh, nature as we understand it, they may not be encumbered by the same limitations of we little biological organisms here on our little mud ball. Dub wants to know whether space is real. I would say it is. What is your definition of space? My definition of space would be all the stuff that surrounds our planet and goes on into and beyond the infinite. What's the difference between a wormhole and a black hole? We're trying to figure that one out, but I would uh, tell folks to head over to thedebrief.org uh, I did an article about this just the other day because there is a team that is working on attempting to basically determine uh, how particles passing beyond the, the mouth of a presumed black hole uh, behave slightly differently. This is one of a couple of different ways that they believe that we might be able to tease out the differences and determine if indeed a black hole, some of which have been long recognized but still difficult to visualize, might in fact be wormholes. Reggie, are you aware of a Hapgood book on crustal shift that could explain sinking landmass. 
Yeah. In fact, uh, that was covered a bit. Uh, actually, I think you wrote about it in another book, but my favorite Charles Hapgood book was Maps of the Ancient Sea Kings, where he's talking about the Piri Reis map. And, you know, again, all those scholars often have a different interpretation than Hapgood and his students did about, you know, what that map entails. I still find some of those calculations in that book fascinating, and I'd still say it's also well worth the read. I had to get a copy of it just to have because I find that idea so uh, fascinating. But as far as Earth crustal displacement, I think there are better ideas in terms of, you know, the mechanics of the Earth and geology, geography that, you know, account for the way the Earth is today and why it looks that way. Scott wants to know, are there white holes? Uh, you know, I know there are white dwarves. There are also red dwarves. Black holes, essentially, as Stephen Hawking said, ain't so black. We refer to them as such only because when a star, it, it no longer can sustain itself and it basically collapses inward on itself, uh, then what you have is something that is super dense and it's so gravitationally strong that it sucks in everything, including light. Light can't even escape it. And therefore, we aren't able to see it because no light or anything else can escape that event horizon. So they aren't actually black, but they're just kind of invisible. So I would say, yeah, call them what you want. <laughs> this is mind-blowing. V wants to know, what do you think about the use of DMT to contact aliens? Are the military exploring this? I know that there have been studies in the past involving hallucinogens and their effects on the mind. DMT fascinates me. Dimethyltryptamine, of course, as uh, Dr. Rick Strassman calls it, the spirit molecule is, is really interesting. I've never taken it myself. Uh, I do hope one day maybe to try ayahuasca, but I did write a book a number of years ago called Magic Mysticism and the Molecule that did talk about that possibility. And I bet you one of your listeners may have read that, hence why they asked that question. Just trying to get through the rest of the questions. There's, there's a few left here. I know, I know we're going to round off soon. Jolly yeah. Man, which of the seven ceremonial South Poles has one visited across the Earth plane thousands of miles away from the other? I may have to call for a lifeline on that one. I'm not sure exactly what the Jolly Man's referring to there. The seven ceremonial South Poles? I know, you know of one. You know what, Michael, what's, what's astounding about you is every single question that's come in, you've answered it. Like, usually, like, when it's the questions are so esoteric and eclectic like this, every fifth or sixth question or so, the guest would usually say, I, I don't know about it. I don't. You've, you've answered like 99% of this barrage. <laughs> Of, well, uh, of, of questions that have come in today, and we, we salute you for that. Thank you. To quote the fourth doctor, I read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Starshine wants to know, Smithsonian dinosaur bones are physical giants of E.T. origin? Question mark. Maybe not all aren't, uh, are dinosaur bones. I think a lot of them are probably megafaunal remains from the Pleistocene, but you know, I've been intrigued by some of those claims of giant skeletons and things like that over the years. But here's the thing. Uh, the majority of them, are no larger than our tallest basketball players today. And therefore, I would really challenge the idea that they are true giants. But uh, if we had, for instance, human remains that were larger than maybe 9 or 10 feet, we, we would have a genuine anomaly because I think the tallest man on record is still Robert Wadlow, and he was like, what, 8 foot 11, if memory serves? I was in a museum in Oxford recently, and looking at the dinosaur bones that they put back together, I mean, these guys are just <laughs> killing machines, aren't they, the way they're designed? Amazing creatures, true yeah. real life dragons. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Scott wants to know if you foresee a human machine hybrid. Absolutely. It's just a matter of time. I don't know if that's going to happen in our lifetime. Elon Musk, of course, is talking about Neuralink and things like this. Um, but I do think that eventually, uh, effective, fully functional uh, brain uh, uh, transference and technologies that link directly with the brain. Uh, it can be controlled by thought. That's going to be a reality. And sure, then you will have functionally uh, human-machine hybrids. 
ES wants to know whether there is a ton of junk circling the Earth. There's an awful lot of it, you know. I think if you go to spacetrack.org, you can see a visualization of just how much debris we have in orbit around Earth. It's hard to see the Earth through all that junk. Let me put it that way. <laughs> does it drop down occasionally, that junk, and cause uh, chaos? <laughs> well, it does. The thing is, and this is the fortunate part, most of those little scraps are so small that they burn up during reentry. But when you have something that's large enough that the entire uh, mass of that object isn't burned yeah, certainly it can crash. Now, the, the good news is with the amount of the Earth's surface that is covered with water, most of that goes into the ocean. But there's always that possibility that, you know, some of our space junk can rain down and cause havoc. And then you add to that all the stuff we didn't put up in space, near-Earth objects, asteroids, what have you. Yeah, it's a real problem. Couldn't that potentially cause a war? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, if you think of a nation putting something up into space, and this has been an issue in recent years, you know, when there have been uncontrolled reentries of Chinese rockets, for instance, you know, NASA and, and, you know, nations all throughout the Western world are very critical of that. Uh, you know, typically this is an issue, and they're always going to use that to point out, well, you guys are the irresponsible ones. No, you are. I don't know if it would necessarily lead to a war, but it certainly could increase already hostile uh, tensions between nations, certainly. Chicago wants to know, have you heard any lectures by Lord Pi, and do you agree with his theories of our beginnings? I uh, have heard his lectures. I don't think I... Actually, you know, I think I did meet Lloyd one time a number of years ago, and I've held in my two hands the famous Star Child skull. But uh, after, you know, studying a lot of macrocephalic and, and I think the other word is duchocephalic, I think, terms, there, there's a lot of different expressions for uh, abnormal skulls. My read on that is that that is not an alien skull, although it looks like one. It is, in fact, a human skull. Gene wants to know, what do you make of the Mandela effect and the various timelines? Well, you know, if there were other realities that were hidden in our midst, and that was to be revealed through children's books like the Berenstein Bears, it would be fascinating. But I would think that there are more likely mathematical or physical uh, ways that we would discern that. But I do wonder about the, the uh, Mandela effect, and I'm actually not trying to play that down. The idea that there are these sorts of glitches in the matrix from time to time, that actually fascinates me. And indeed, that could be one day proven to be evidence of other realities beyond the one that we know of. Michael, we've gone over time. I thank you. You've got so many questions coming in. This could just go on all night, so I'm going to have to stop it here. Can you please <laughs> let the viewers know where they can find you and support you? Certainly. Yeah, you can find me online at micahanks.com. I'm on Twitter uh, at micahanks. Uh, and, of course, I am the editor-in-chief and a reporter over at thedebrief.org, so you can read our original articles there. And also check out the Micah Hanks program, which is my official podcast. You'll find all that there at micahanks.com. Sean, let's do this again sometime. It was fun. I've learned so much tonight, Mike, and I'm sure some of the viewers have as well. I would love to do it again. So thank you very much for your time. You certainly will, my friend. Be well. Cheers, mate. All right. What a great guy. Please support all of the guests' links. If you think that was mind-blowing, imagine if you go over and check out Mike's links, the level of knowledge he's got there, because that was just a snippet. We did 35 minutes. And huge thank you for all the questions. There was such a, a vast range of questions this evening. And we've got four huge podcasts coming out in the next week. So tomorrow night, we've got Kira Part 2, and that is Schoolgirl versus Predators Part 2. Harrowing story, graphic content warning. Sunday night, we've got Urian Brotherhood, founder Michael Thompson Part 5. He's the most viral guest on the channel. 
He's been averaging half a million views on his podcasts within matters of months. And we're doing a live Q&A. So if you've got anything for Michael Thompson, throw it at him on Sunday at 6 p.m. Monday at 6 p.m. I'm sorry, Sunday at 8 p.m. Monday at 6 p.m. is pop star icon Robbie Williams. We did two hours with Robbie Williams. He's bloody hilarious. He's a gentleman. He's been through addiction issues. He was raving at the same places I was raving at when I was back in the late 1980s. And then on Tuesday at 6 p.m., we've got a three-plus-hour one with a man who was stopped by the French intelligence services on the way to film the podcast with me. He drove over from France with his team, and he was six or seven hours late because the French, the equivalent of the French CIA, CIA stopped him, and he was one of France's biggest coke dealers. He was dealing to the president. He was in the mix with the elites from a very young age because his, his uh, dad was the physician to the king of Morocco uh, involved in the, the WHO and all that kind of stuff. And now he has become one of France's biggest pedo hunters. The documentary about the super soldiers, I was kind of cracking a joke there because it's the closest thing that I've ever seen to super soldiers. It's called Madness in the Fast Lane. Yeah, not madness in the motorway. Madness in the fast lane. Let me. I'll just double check that on Google for you to make sure I've got it right. After um, Wild Wild Country, about the the cult that the Indian cult that moved to America, Madness in the Fast Lane is definitely one of my. Yeah, I found it. It's definitely one of my all time favorite um, documentaries. Ursula Eriksson and Sabina Eriksson are Swedish twin sisters who came to national attention in the UK in May 2008. The twins had been in Ireland before traveling to the UK and boarding a bus for London in Liverpool. There are cameras on the motorway filming them, throwing themselves into traffic that's going at high speed that you would imagine would kill a normal human being under trucks, trucks just rolling over their bodies, and the cops come out. And it is absolutely crazy. This is just the beginning. They jump up and go on a rampage, a criminal rampage. The, the cops coming to help this woman who's just been run over by a truck. They're coming to help her. She jumps up. And starts fighting the cops. And she's so strong. She is throwing them around and stuff. It's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Uh, one of the viewers just asked me about having on the one of the founding members of the Aryan Brotherhood. I just want to add a disclaimer there. Michael Thompson, who was a founding member of the California Aryan Brotherhood, who served 44 years in California prison and was shot 22 times. When the gang... He said there was a mandate whereby they authorized the execution of family members, including women or kids. He did actually drop out of the gang. And now he is a prison activist campaigning for sentencing reform in California and across America, campaigning against the war on drugs and mass incarceration, which puts him on the same page as us. Also, I forgot to mention 
Tonight at nine o'clock in 50 minutes, there's a premiere going out, which is a chat of between me and Darren G. Darren G is also one of our most viral podcast guests. And he contacted me the other day. He wanted to learn how to do StreamYard. And we just had an impromptu chat on his channel because he'd never brought someone onto his channel before like that. So, huge thank you then for joining us tonight. The Robbie Williams interview is going up on Patreon tonight. The link to Patreon is in the description box. It's still uploading right now. And then we should be back to normal Atwood Unleashed broadcasting next week. And like I said, look out for these big podcasts coming out Thursday night, 6 o'clock, Sunday night, 8, Monday night with Robbie Williams, 6 o'clock, and then Gerard Foray, France's biggest coke dealer and pedo hunter. He's never done an interview in the English-speaking world before, and this is his first one. All of his interviews in the French-speaking world have got millions of views. Yes, Fred, there is a Patreon link. It's in the description box below this video. And huge shout out to all of the Patreons that have supported us and helped build that wonderful community. Huge thank you to Ash for organizing such a robust show this evening. Two and a half hours has gone like that. It's so punchy when you've got a guest in for 30 minutes and another one. Please support the guest links in the description box and please support Charlie Robinson, who just dropped in at the last minute. So wherever around the world, much love and respect. We are banned from broadcasting this show on Facebook presently. We're trying to work that out with them. It's been banned for four months, but hopefully we'll get to be multi-streaming it on all the platforms soon. So yeah, thank you guys for all your input. You've made it really interesting with all your questions. Can't wait to see some of you for next week's show on Wednesday. Take care out there, wherever you are in the world. Cheers from London. Thank you for watching. Thank you, Ash. Thank you, all the guests. Thank you. Good night.